Hello, and welcome back to They Made Another One, where each week we discuss an off-forgotten installment or brand new installment in a franchise and see if you should check it out for yourself. I'm one of your hosts, Corey, and with me, I've got Liam. If you ask me, this whole franchise goes off the rails with number five. And Mitch. In the words of Chad, I'm not entirely sure that you're not the killer. That's great <laughs> delivery. <laughs> um, I had a line written down. Um, I actually forget who says it, but just listen up, uglier Michael Myers. Because what does that mean? Yeah, that was Chad. Yeah. He says that to uh, to uh, Kyle Gallner's character. Absolute Chad. Chad's getting great representation in our quotes. <laughs> Huge Chad moment. Um, <laughs> it's true. It's a true statement. So we're finally talking about Scream 5 or Scream 2022 or whatever. And it's not quite brand new even to go against how you opened it. Corey. It's not quite brand new. It's brand new relative to like Scream 4. You could give me that. It came out this year, you know. Um, our journey getting to this episode, you'd think it was just, oh, we wanted to make sure people had a chance to see it on video on demand. That's why we waited. And that's partially true. But also just like getting to this exact recording right now has been an absolute uh, agony. It's been a journey. We've had to overcome significant obstacles and really sort of kill our darlings a little bit. We had a pretty elaborate plan to drive several hours to record this episode in the city that they're shooting the new movie in, like outdoors, gorilla style, like in a really cool way. You know we're, what I mean? We're going to try to get Courtney Cox on the podcast, get a quote. Gale Weathers style. Yeah, we were going to really scoop it up. And uh, none of that happened. <laughs> this isn't even the day that... This is the day that we meant to do it only sort of because we tried to do it a couple days ago. And then uh, our entire country was like, what if half of you didn't have internet anymore? And we were like, that's a challenge for us. That, that um, would be a scary premise for a movie. Oh, dude, I'm spooked. How is Gen Z going to handle this one? Am I uh, right? I'm ready for the Canadian horror movies that are going to come out in two years all about <laughs> the world without internet. All about that time you couldn't go on Instagram <laughs> for a day. Um, or like call your, your grandpa. That's probably the sadder part. But um, all the people who didn't call their grandpas that day, you could just call them today. If you didn't get a chance on Friday, call them now. Write him a letter. He doesn't know how a phone works. Yeah, write him a letter. Those still work as far as I know. Canada Post, up and running. But um, we thought about getting to Scream right when it came out. We didn't. And then we've been presented with the series of the hardest challenges even Achilles couldn't overcome. And we did. And so we're here. And we're finally going to talk about the new Scream. And it feels like, Liam, we've kind of set expectations of like being the Scream boys. Are you like nervous about this one at all? Do you feel like we have a reputation to uphold? I am nervous. I'm not as nervous as I was for Scream 4. And I was very nervous for that one just because it was our first Scream conversation. And so it was like I was also thinking about having to talk about the other three movies. Um so that, that was that was weighing on me. I was very nervous, very excited. So you can hear a real long episode Corey and I did talking about Scream oh, yeah. 4. And uh, at that time, Corey hadn't seen a single Scream movie. And it is and I discovered that in real time. And even after seeing Scream 4, he didn't know who the who the killer or possibly killers, plural, in case you haven't seen Scream. He didn't He didn't Neither know anything <laughs> about that movie. He didn't know who Drew Barrymore was in the movie. So it was just a wild Scream episode, and I talked a lot about my history there. Um, 
And so Scream 5, I, I am a little bit nervous, um, but I've seen it a number of times now. And so uh, I, I sort of, uh, I've, I've come to terms with it. I, I feel all right. I'm excited. Yeah. And if you're wondering what my Scream journey was like uh, since Scream 4, if I turn my head 90 degrees to the right, there is a 27 by 40 inch framed poster of the movie Scream 2 on my wall. So, you know, I kept going. <laughs> I continued to watch them. Uh, getting into Scream as like an adult, very late to the party, sort of like felt like getting hit by a cultural truck, just like right in the center of my chest. Um, I love Scream so much. These movies are awesome. And I I was, you know, having this thing where I was like, man, Scream 4 is pretty cool. And then I went and I watched the first one and I was like, wow, they did it even better the first time. Um, and are, and then the second time, and the th- I'll defend the third one. I know a lot of people won't, but God damn it, I will. And uh, so getting all of that catch up done before the the series got revived for the first time outside of the tv show in like almost a decade pretty cool if not over a decade actually 2011 to 2020 yeah that's Um, right yeah so that was good auspicious timing and uh i'm i was very stoked for this and um we even went to go see Scream 1 in theaters. They did like a re-release. We saw that. That's right. We wore our Scream shirts. I was Matthew Lillard and you were uh, David Arquette? Yeah. My and then, and then we, one's in my closet still. And then we did the same for, for Scream 5. Yeah. So Corey yeah. and I, we did see this about six months ago. So we've been there. Yeah. Um, we saw it in theaters together. No. And then no, I Mitch hadn't <laughs> seen it. And so we held off largely for that reason. But given that, Mitch, you were not on our Scream 4 episode. We have not had no, a chance to ask you any of these questions. So here's my first question. What's your favorite scary movie? Uh, probably the Babadook. Um, no, <laughs> I, I believe it's pronounced Babadook. Um, Duke, like in a swashbuckler. Like a juke. Um, hmm. <laughs> my favorite scary movie. Hmm. There is a wrong answer. I prefer animated films and musicals. Okay. <laughs> and that is, that is the right answer. That's a direct quote from this movie. Listeners. A little bit of deflection. I, but I, yeah, what do you got going on with Scream uh, over here? For the record, I don't prefer animated films and musicals. I like scary movies. I just don't think I can pick a favorite. So if that phone call ever came to me, I'd buy myself so much time just like humming and hawing about what it could be. Like if I was sitting there, it's like, what's your favorite scary movie? I'd be like, well, there's just so many. I mean, and depending on the ghost face in question, they'll give you some time. Oh, they, I bet you they'd be <laughs> delighted to because the ghost face is invariably a cinephile. So you, you'd just be like, well, there's this one great I don't, Italian movie. Are we including giallos? And then we'd, we'd talk about, you know, all of that. Um, imagine how exciting it would be to catch Ghostface off guard, too. You're like, oh, yeah, there's this great Giallo movie. It's called Tenebrae. And Ghostface is like, oh, I don't think I've heard of that one. What's it about? And then you're just like, oh, yeah, so it's by this guy. And, and uh, you know, there's a, a, a straight razor. And he's like, I'm more of a knife guy, but uh, that's pretty cool. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Dude, oh, my God. Right as you said, I'm more of a knife guy. My headphones made that staticky sound the loudest they've ever made it. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> just happened. Oh, my God. That was genuinely kind of scary. I'm sitting over here in the dark. Um, getting absolutely haunted but um, 
Mitch, uh, what what's your deal with Scream? I don't think people know the deal, right? We haven't had a chance to talk about this. So not much of a deal. Um, not even a not even like a, a bargain, really. Um, oh, is it going to be Corey two Not even a modest offer. I've seen the first one. Obviously, we all saw it in theaters together. Um, oh, right. that's right. That's and right. I had seen the first one like years and years and years ago at like a like a sleepover um, when I was a kid. But I haven't dabbled in anything else in the franchise. I've been meaning to watch Scream Two because everybody raves about it. Um, so it's my least favorite. Mitch, really? Your expectations. I some love pe- that movie, dude. Some people have told me it's the best in the franchise. Interesting. Which is a hot take. I I don't I, know I if gather. that's right, and I'm the guy with the poster. <laughs> okay, I'm not gonna even bother. Forget I said that. We're not opening that can of worms. <laughs> um. So yeah, I, I've seen this first one. Really like it. Um, but in terms of you know the franchise and navigating that and all the intertextuality in these in these movies particularly this movie um i had a bit of a rough go because i felt like i uh didn't quite get the memo for all of it but having seen the first one was a good foundation i think um definitely a franchise i would like to see more of because i enjoy what i've seen that's fair yeah makes sense i would recommend it i had a pretty good time if you get to the third one mitch parker posey's in it oh yeah who we all love yeah hell yeah dude great casting choice if you want to see her and courtney cox fuck around for a while okay there you go um but scream six nope not yet not scream six yet i'm pretty sure i've kept calling it that too i mean because it's wild that you know you say this movie is brand new and it is it is very new and it's it already feels like the marketing and like the news for Scream 6 has picked up so much and that movie is going to come out so soon that it feels like Scream 5 is old news and like we're already on to Scream 6. Yeah, yeah. it's also old news only because like it came out like right at the start of January. Mm-hmm. So it was like it's like barely 2022. Um but uh anyway, Scream 5, I know the poster just calls it Scream. I know why it's just called Scream cuz they're doing the they're doing the Halloween boot thing tonight. Yeah, we're not doing that. We're gonna keep calling it Scream Five just for clarity's sake. Otherwise, the word's gonna lose all meaning really fast. Well, I think I watched the wrong movie. We're not just doing a, a Scream revisited here. Ah, uh, that would be sick. We could do that. We could just choose to do that. I guess if we wanted. But um, no, we got the new one, the currently newest one, <laughs> on deck, and um. Let's get straight into the cast and crew stuff because I imagine we'll have a lot to say. Um, this movie's got two directors. Hmm. That doesn't happen on the show a lot. Uh, there's something there. Two directors? Yeah. Is it the directors who did Gator Bait 2? Uh, yes, actually. It's exactly... Hmm. It's like Bert and Gert or whatever their names were. What was it? <laughs> yeah, something like that. <laughs> Jimmy and Bimmy Lee. What was it? Uh, Be- it was Beverly and... Uh, well, and then the- yeah, Fern. Fern. Yeah. yeah, I said not Fern. Fern. I said Fern. I think. I think you said Fred. No, I said Fred. Yeah, I said it's Fred. Fern. Anyway, they didn't direct Scream Five. I'm sorry to say. Fuck. Um, that was, it was Matt Bettinelli Olpin and Tyler Gillett. They get a lot of L's in their names, and uh, they are the guys who directed Ready or Not, and they also have a segment in VHS. Okay, love which, it. Which one? Do you know? Yeah. Mitch, it's in the first movie. It's the last one where they okay. these those like college age dudes go to that haunted house and like arms are coming out of the walls and there's some cult shit in the attic. Right. I don't think that's the best one from that movie. IMO. No. 
No. Anyway. If you want to hear Mitch and I talk about every VHS segment, uh, VHS 94, we did an episode on it. Yeah, I'm, I'm sort of apprehensive because I'm wondering if this episode is going to turn into a VHS episode. Yeah. <laughs> uh. um, so the there's two writers. Um, you've got James Vanderbilt, who worked on um, Amazing Spider-Man 1 and 2, Independence Day Resurgence. Uh, and also Zodiac, hell of a resume. Um, and also Guy Busick, who worked on Ready or Not. Uh, so they're keeping it in the family. It's edited by uh, Michelle Aller, or maybe LA. Not totally sure. Um, they That's edited fine. a movie called uh, There's Someone Inside Your House, which is a fun name for a horror movie to have. Yes, it's a, good, it's a pretty good movie, too. Nice. Uh, also, Shazam, uh, The Nun. And uh, do you remember when they made movies like this? The 41-year-old virgin who knocked up Sarah Marshall and felt super bad about it. Oh, yeah. That's a Netflix classic. That's like 2010 Netflix. Yes. (laughs) That's a DVD dollar bin. That's a curse cut. Um, uh, The cinematography is by Brett Jukowitz. Jutkowitz. It's one of those. I'm sorry, Brett. Um, He shot Ready or Not. Uh, also a few episodes of stranger things season four and the black phone which just came out and also the safety brothers movie daddy long legs all right pre-stacked yeah. good looking movies yeah the black phone you, you've seen liam right i have yep good looking it is good looking really good looking in fact it has uh, an opening credit sequence that is my favorite opening credit sequence in in recent memory it, it looks really cool it's like uh kind of has this home video like texas chainsaw massacre sort of sort of yellow tinged film reel thing to it it's very creepy nice and uh brian tyler did the music how could we forget he wrote the f1 theme song legend what did what was he last working on with us because you've brought this up uh i literally the only thing i wrote next to his name is just f1 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 um so i have to check uh why he was on our show because it was fairly recently wasn't it Mm -hmm. uh tokyo drift oh right yes tokyo drift that's the second time in two days i've forgotten about tokyo drift (laughs) That's right. Yeah, I was telling Corey <laughs> yesterday that uh, a dude on Love Island said his favorite movie was Tokyo Drift. I like what an absolute now. legend! Um, so we've got the cast for this movie. Uh, obviously, we've got um, Nev Campbell, Courtney Cox, and David Arquette, who are all in Scream. Um, do have some other fun credits for these people, though. We've got Nev Campbell also in Skyscraper with Dwayne the Rock Johnson. <laughs> She's why I went to see that movie in the theaters, actually. <laughs> Uh, and also Wild Things, which doesn't have Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Yeah, we could do that franchise on the on the pod, though. Wild Things? Mm-hmm. It has sequels. Why? Because it was a sexy movie and it uh, made it's like, money. No, that sounds like Poison Ivy core, though. Oh, I'm sure it is. I don't know about that. <laughs> um, Courtney Cox, also um, Ace Ventura, Pet Detective. Cougar Town, and I don't know, some show called Friends. Never heard of it. Never heard of it. Uh, David Arquette has the most fun list here, I think, of the core gang. Um, I'm not leaving out Skeet Ulrich. He's just way later because he's not in the movie as much. Um, but he's in, in. he did a cameo on Cougar Town. Uh, he was also on a bunch of wrestling shows like WWE Raw. 
He was WCW champion, baby. He was. Uh, he's also did a voice for a long time on a cartoon called Captain Jake and the Neverland Pirates. He did a voice for one of the snowboarders in SSX Tricky. There's a documentary about him called You oh. Cannot Kill David Arquette. Dude, nice. SSX also, Tricky. I know. What a fucking Great throwback. Game. <laughs> Great game. And also uh, a movie called Hamlet 2. The sequel to Hamlet. Hamlet 2? Hamlet 2, the sequel. Never heard of it. I didn't even look up what it was. I just saw the name and I was like, I don't need to know any more information. The slings and arrows of outrageous fortune. It's that, but David Arquette is saying it. To be or not to be. (laughs) Is that David Arquette's voice? (laughs) No. Um, uh, Rain Wilson's voice? Um, Maybe. Uh, Melissa Barrera plays Sam Carpenter. Haha. Ha. Um, get it? Funny last name. Uh, she was in uh, the movie In the Heights. Speaking of musicals, she's in that. Um, also done a variety of what appears to be Spanish language TV, which I was not particularly familiar with. Um, Jack Quaid plays her boyfriend, Richie, who he's on The Boys, which I haven't seen. Uh, Star Trek Lower Decks, which I haven't seen. Uh, the Hunger Games, which I saw like one of. And Logan Lucky, which is finally something I've seen. Good for Jack Quaid. Jack Quaid's getting around. He's the son of Dennis Quaid, right? Correct. Cool. Yeah. yeah he looks like him. I think he looks more like... Um... Randy? Yeah. People have always said that Randy Quaid looks a lot like Dwight Schrute. <laughs> so I totally get it. <laughs> he does um mikey madison is playing amber she uh was in once upon a time in hollywood which i don't remember her being in that uh and i definitely saw that movie uh, apparently i haven't seen this movie but apparently she uh she's one of the the manson family and she gets set on fire in that one too does that ring any bells oh for you? like right at the end yeah that must be her oh mm-hmm. see i i'm one of the people who doesn't like the ending of that movie I think oh, the so you just blocked so it out. I probably just stopped thinking about it. Uh, if I remember correctly, she's in a pool and gets lit on fire with a flamethrower. Yeah, the scene's pretty pretty based, if you ask. Dang, I gotta watch this movie, and I will be the the tiebreaker here. Um, and then we've got Jenna Ortega playing Tara. She was in X also this year, also a horror movie. So really taking the boxes off. She was in The Fallout, which I think also came out this year. Yeah, I'm dying to see that. Um, She's in The Babysitter Killer Queen, which I'm not, mm-hmm. I've like heard of, but I don't really know anything about it. We can um, do that sometime. Yeah. Oh, is that a sequel? It is. Yeah. Right. The The original Babysitter, that's one of my, that's one of my favorite movies. It's oh. awesome. She's also in Studio 666, which also came out this year, I believe. <laughs> yeah, dude. She's booking. Um, She was on a bunch of Disney shows when she was younger and also Insidious Chapter 2. <laughs> Oh, nice. I got to rewatch that then. I don't know. She must have been real young in that one. She's already done enough where she could. She's like dangerously close to being able to just horror movie con circuit for the rest of her life if she never wanted to work again. I know. Yeah, it's it's amazing. She's like 20. (laughs) Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, Dylan Minnette plays Wes. You always got to sneak in a guy named Wes in one of these. Uh, Always. Always. Yeah. Every time. <laughs> you, uh, ever, you ever see a background character in uh, the screen movies that's unnamed? That guy's name's Wes. <laughs> Little known fact. All, all of them. 
Um, you might know him from Don't Breathe, uh, which is a movie I think is really good. Uh, he's also on 13 Reasons Why. He was in the Goosebumps movie. He was in Prisoners. Great movie. Listeners, beware, you're in for a scare. And uh, if, right, you, if you don't watch movies, but you listen to popular music, you may also know him from the band Wallows. Very nice. Good job, I, Dylan. I was supposed to see their show recently and couldn't go because of coronavirus. <laughs> Very cool. <laughs> Very cool. Um, Jasmine Savoy Brown plays Mindy, who is Chad's twin. We've heard a lot from Chad. Uh, they're also Randy's niece and nephew from the first movie and the second and third, I suppose. I don't know why I just sort of clocked it there, but uh, that's fun. Uh, she was on The Leftovers. She was also on Yellow Jackets um, and did some voices in games like Wolfenstein, Youngblood, and Spider-Man Miles Morales. And then we've got Mason Gooding, a.k.a. the absolute Chad that is Chad. Um, he's in Booksmart. And uh, a different Star Trek show, Star Trek Picard, and also in Love, Victor, which I th- am assuming is a sequel to Love, Simon. <laughs> yeah, well, I think it's like a TV spinoff of Love, Simon. Ah. We've got uh, Sonia Amar playing Liv. That's Chad's girlfriend. Marley Shelton plays Sheriff Judy, who loves musicals and animated movies. Um, she uh, was in Planet Terror and Death Proof and also Never Been Kissed. Mm-hmm. She's also in um, she's in uh, Valentine, which is a cool 2000 slasher, and she is in um, Horns, which is a oh uh, the, another Joe yeah. Hill movie, and she is also in The Sandlot, baby, Wendy Peppercorn, the goddess of my uh, childhood <laughs> years. Uh, we've got uh, the homie Skeet Ulrich as a CGI youth de-aged. Uh, contemporary to the 1990s Billy Loomis. Yeah, you know what? I'm not. I'm not even convinced he acted for this movie. I think that was just all programmed. They just. They just voice. He did he voice it even, or did they just like generate his voice? No, no, no. All generated. Um, Liam mentioned him earlier. We've got Kyle Gallner playing Vince, who the credits state is Stu Mocker's nephew, according to Wikipedia. Well, they say that in the movie. Do they? Yeah. Why did I not notice that line this time? Yeah, or the first time, I guess. Well, that was months ago. I would more assume that I forgot than I didn't hear it. Yeah, <laughs> I, mean, I don't was, know. I forget things. Anyway, we've talked about him before. Um, yes, I love him. Because he's in Elm Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, and also Jennifer's body. Yep, and he's awesome. uh, American Sniper. Oh, nice. Uh, Chester Tam plays Deputy Vincent. Uh, he's in Hot Rod, apparently. Hell yeah, dude. Who doesn't love Hot Rod? It's a classic. An absolute classic. Picturesque cinema. Far too good for like for its own good. I mean, incredible. Who would have thought? Deputy Farney is played by Reggie Conquest, which is just a cool name for a guy to have. Um, then we've got Heather Matarazzo playing Martha. She is in The Princess Diaries. Shouts out. Um, Roger L. Jackson is the voice of Ghostface and he frankly had too many credits to list um, and last but certainly not least shout out to my man Christopher Speed who plays Randy in the movie Stab which is playing on the TV oh is this a significant actor no it's just cool that he got to like they they went through the effort of recreating a recreation I just think that's fun oh yeah that is cool I just wanted to shout that out that I gets- keep thinking he looks like um 
Jamie Kennedy, yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. He looks like the dude from Mad TV who played Stuart Michael McDonald or something. He was also in Halloween Kills. That's who I keep yeah. thinking it is when I watch oh, this movie. Oh, that's funny. It's not him. I can tell you that. It's Christopher Speed. When he's not acting, he drives cars. I don't know. His favorite movie is Tokyo Drift. Um, so this movie is about, if you could believe it, Ghost faces back in Wordsboro, and he's killing people. Fuck. Son of a bitch. I was uh, disappointed. You know, I really thought they were going to go to space with this one. And I, <laughs> I thought there was, I thought it was going to be a combination of Jason X, which is space, and Jason goes to hell, which is no Jason. I wanted a space movie without Ghostface. And I, I wanted was, to watch uh, Gravity with a knife in it. <laughs> yeah, no, no, not even any knives. Too many knives in these movies. I could have done with some Gravity nunchucks. With a gun. <laughs> yes, that would have been nice. You did get some gunplay. I did, yeah. Um, yeah. So we have Tara, who is attacked at, at her house by Ghostface, and we meet her sister and boyfriend, like extended friend group, and we learn that all of these people are tied more or less in some way or another to previous um, Ghostface instances of, of, of elaborate murder. Um on the one hand, uh, Tara's sister's dad is literally Billy Loomis. Seems like an important detail. That was weird the way my headphones just did that. I, I wish that would stop. <laughs> that was bizarre. Um, right as I said Billy Loomis, they echoed like five or six times. It just happened again. <laughs> it's weird, dude. It's a ghost. Does it do this to you when we're not recording? No. Huh. It's only happened the last two times that right after I've said Billy Loomis. It's super weird. Oh, God. Um, Say but, it three uh, more times. He's going to show up in reflective surfaces. Finally. Um, That's the mistake that Sam made. She's not actually related to Billy Loomis. She just said his name five times in front of a she mirror. She showed up in a mirror. And he just keeps showing up. She's like, hey, I just want to hang out. I'm stuck. I'm dead. I don't, I don't have anything going on. Um, so we've got... Uh, who do we got? We got... Well, we've got uh, Ghostface. We've got Ghostface. Heard of him? I'm just uh, forgetting one of the characters' names, and I'm trying to buy time while I go find it. Chad, Liv. Mindy. <laughs> no, uh, we've got Chad and Mindy, who are, as mentioned, Randy's nephew and niece. So that's the relationship there. Um, Wes is Judy's son, who is the cop that is in Scream Four. Um, then we've got. Obviously, the original uh, Sidney Gale Dewey arrive. And then we've got a couple people left over where the relationship isn't totally clear. We've got Richie, who is the boyfriend. We've got Amber, who is Tara's friend. And we've got Liv, who is uh, Chad's girlfriend. Um, everybody else, in a more direct way, is tied to previous... Um, Ghostface instances and essentially it's just your classic scream situation we got to figure out who Ghostface is we got to stop all this murdering um that's the gist of it you know we'll get into it but that's really the gist of it i don't know it is spoon feed it to you you know what a scream movie is by now they're gonna explain what kind of movie they're doing they're gonna talk about it they're gonna quip a little bit you know voice changers etc I know Liam wants to go last. Is that still the case? 
Yeah, I want to hear what you guys have to say. Mitch, you are fresh off. Very fresh. Like, I couldn't, a viewing be, of it couldn't possibly be more fresh unless you were asking me while I was watching it what I thought. Literally 30 minutes ago. <laughs> yes. I love it. I need to hear it because Corey and I went from being six months stale seeing the movie and, and now we get you as fresh as can be. So I, the reason I want you to go first, I want to live vicariously from you and I, wanna, I want you to bottle up that first watch magic and, and let us know what's going on. Yeah, we didn't head. we didn't get to do that on our first watch and we have a little bit of regret over that, not documenting it. So what is your hot take fresh off ye old presses? I just saw Scream Five. Here's how I feel about it. Take so situation. Fresh off the press. Um with with that in mind, if you're uh, head over heels for this movie, uh be be kind. Because uh, I'm still That's an wor- ominous. working out my thoughts, you know. Like the other the other week, I saw uh, the the parallax view, and I watched it with Abby, and we watched it, and I was like, ah. and then like a couple days later, I was like, that was fucking great. So keep in mind, I mean, if you were to take tabs with me the next time we record, it might change. Um, okay, we'll ask in a week. Ask in a week and see how I feel. Um, we got a top 10 episode. Oh, so but unfortunately, you need my take now. So here it is. I think it's a good movie. I think it's a clunky movie in a lot of ways. Um, there's a lot of things that I had difficulty with earlier when we were talking about my experience with the Scream franchise. I said that I don't have that much of an experience with it. And as such, this is very much that legacy movie and very tongue in cheek and referential um, to a lot of the characters and having seen the first one I have like some experience with that but um, there's I find that the legacy stuff and the fan service sometimes gets in the way of telling a good story there's a lot of explaining there's a lot of uh, referencing um, and I think that that there's a lot of like explaining motivations in relation to sort of past events that always goes back to the past they say repeatedly and that's something that i was kind of grappling with um i think it's a long movie at almost like it's long for what it is um and like how it sort of plods along and um in that sort of horror whodunit fashion where you know it's just like each guy sort of bumps off the log as 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 the movie progresses um and so i think there's like some really sick kills in this movie i think there's some funny dialogue um i don't love the dialogue though in part well for a few reasons but i think it, it feels a little high on its own supply to a degree um the and and again it's laden with that intertextuality and some of the stuff just kind of made me uh roll my eyes especially in relation to the motivations of like the the killers like you're a you're a villain kind of stuff and 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 all <laughs> of that um i think some of like the exposition and some of like the set pieces are rather clunky um and they're trying and they don't hold a candle to the first one like i i don't think the finale of this movie is nearly as good uh, as the original, even though it's sort of trying to mirror it in a way, uh, it feels like a Gen Z bash organized by Gen X. It do- it feels very much like a movie party, <laughs> whereas the other one feels kind of original. And the original has quite a bit of a of an edge to it uh, in the dialogue, and this one I I, I think it's it's lacking um, in that. Uh, 
it's grasping for the irony that the original one had too, like in that edginess. Um, but it's it's just I think less sharp. Um, but I think there's a lot of good things about this movie and a lot of things that like made me laugh and made me smile and I, I had a good time with it. But I think it's just pretty good or like good but like not great like i don't know if i'm like clamoring to see it again but i'm also not like a huge scream guy like you guys both are so like i bet you you probably had much more fun with all of those sort of references since you're both fanatics and i'm not but on its on its own like as an individual work i don't know if it if it stands up that well but that's also not really what it's designed to be did you feel lost by any of the references mitch Mm, I kind of forgot like some of the characters like I, I like the sheriff character I, I don't think she, is she in the original I don't know no, no just um, the fourth yeah so I haven't seen that and I think that like that whole sequence they they really belabor up that particular um kill scene with the with the son and and mother um that's a really long set piece and uh I I honestly like I think that that whole thing could kind of go but that's just me. Um, I think an hour and a, an hour and fifty, almost two, is really long for for what this is. But there it is. Nice. Yeah, I think it's the longest of the movies. Um, mm-hmm. I think like a, I think slashers like should be brisk. I don't think that you should go over like the hour thirty mark. But right oh dang maybe mitch maybe the sequels aren't for you then i'm seeing here that uh scream two it says two hours and uh scream three an hour 56 mm. for scream three. Oh my gosh yeah. i didn't i didn't know all that the at all Posey they had to get in there <laughs> it, it kind of like takes a lot to, to hold my attention and when you just sort of have like a constant rise and fall and rise and fall and twist and who did it did they do it did they do it for an hour and a half, I, I, I think it's enough for me to just kind of be like, ah, like, when are we going to find out? <laughs> uh, and I was kind of disappointed with some of the killings of the, of the legacy characters and, and, uh, and all that. But I don't really have... And like how they were the executed game. or yeah. that they were killed. And how... And I think maybe twofold. Uh, b- both. But Interesting. Pretty lame death for David Arquette. Yeah, it, it's a little silly where he's like, oh, I didn't kill him right. <laughs> Always put one in the brain. That's the Miller's Crossing reference. Uh, um, not, not in this movie, but yeah. It might be. We don't Probably know. not. We don't know. A 1930s gangster film by the Coen brothers? From it like could be. The, from the 90s? I don't know. People be out here watching movies? People do, but it seems weird in this franchise. Um, Fair enough. So I guess Liam... Oh, wait, Mitch, are you done? I'm done. Liam, you want me to go now, right? Yep. Okay. Um, I think this movie is... Overall, my takeaway here is that it's actually just okay. Okay. I remember being much more excited about it immediately after seeing it the first time. And I think... You were. I was yeah. there. You were more than okay on it, for sure. I think a lot of that was because I was excited about watching a new Scream movie and I was kind of going to take whatever. Um, I think this movie's biggest weakness, ironically, given that the Scream franchise gimmick rests really strongly on, you know, like 
this is what happens in a horror movie. Oh, this is what happens in a sequel, etc. I think this movie really buckles under the yeah the form of what a legacy sequel is. Um, because I think you've got a new cast of characters that are well cast and quippy, but don't feel like people, like mm-hmm. real people. They feel reminiscent of people that maybe we know in our own lives because they're closer to our age and maybe have more of our like sensibilities, but they don't have, they don't feel like fully fleshed out individuals on the one hand. You're not cheering for them or like rooting for any of them in particular. Yeah. And on the flip side, um, the bringing back of Sidney Gale and Dewey, it doesn't really hit, um, it feels perfunctory. Um, it shows up with meaningful significance in the last like half hour. And even then it's just sort of like, like I think in attempting to critique um, the impulse that legacy sequels have to, you know, like go back to the original and like we're in Stu's house and they're doing the party and the original characters are here and attempting to critique that, um, they they just sort of accidentally do that instead without actually critiquing it very much. And I also think that this movie really wants to take on like toxic fandom very head on. It's very transparent about that. Um, I don't think it does a very good job. I, I think for two reasons. One it doesn't feel i don't feel convinced by this movie's argument about why toxic fandom is bad because the example that they're giving is two people that have decided to become serial murderers um and that's just not what happens in real life are there real actual consequences with threats of violence and toxic fandom in real life yes mm-hmm. do they feel consistent to the parallel being drawn here no also, I did not realize the first time how much this movie hinges its critique of toxic fandom specifically on the reaction to The Last Jedi. It's very specifically about that only. What, can you talk about that a bit? Because I, I haven't seen those movies. I don't know what that is. So Star Wars Episode Eight: The Last Jedi is Ryan Johnson's Star Wars movie. It's the second of the three of the new trilogy. And um, there is a not insignificant swath of Star Wars fans, sort of the kind of people where, you know, they have Luke Skywalker show up on the Mandalorian or whatever it was. And everybody like they just scream and clap at the screen like a bunch of fucking idiots because they're like, ah, yes, the old thing is here. And, you know, if you're listening and you liked that, I'm not saying this derisively at you but it's like there are people who are very purist about things like star wars so then they're just like i just want the old thing over and over again forever um and some of the big critiques of the last jedi in my memory because i only saw i saw the movie twice and i haven't seen it since and i sort of intentionally avoided the discourse online um was that it got really strong backlash against like I know, for example, like Kelly Marie Tran got a lot of really vicious hate from people online for her role in that movie. And people weren't happy with how it was trying to sort of reinvent certain things 
and they weren't happy with the direction that characters were going. And then, um, uh, pardon the lack of specifics. I just honestly don't really remember. Um, the specific details of like what about the plot was a problem but then what that resulted in in the ninth star wars movie was sort of like a really hard overcorrection to sort of kowtow to the complaints of a vocal let's say vocal minority because i don't have any numbers that were like trying to be very purist about like what a star wars movie could be and what like it could be thematically occupied with and how it could um like present characters in star wars like the movie the last jedi got a very specific vitriolic and harsh backlash with a fairly violent sentiment um that then got overcorrected and um they mention in this that stab eight star wars eight uh which was directed by ryan johnson they name drop him was the one that was getting a lot of vitriolic reaction Mm -hmm. and apparently he was supposed to even straight up cameo in the movie if he if they had done that i think they would have gone far too far into uh one very specific argument which is people should have not reacted like that to Star Wars Episode Eight: The Last Jedi, directed by Ryan Johnson. Into the um, weeds. <laughs> not, hey, people need to chill the fuck out. Um, but I don't think this movie manages to thread that needle between. Isn't it cool that Nev Campbell showed up with a gun? Like, I think this movie wants to make the argument that toxic fandom is bad. Um. But in attempting to do so, it ticks a lot of the boxes of things that fans of Scream would want in this kind of movie, which therefore defeats making a movie that says it's okay to not make this kind of movie. I know I just said this movie a lot, but if that sentence makes sense, try to follow me here. Like, I don't think it's enough to subvert the ending by the fact that a couple people lived to say, like, we're not making a movie that you know, just gives it the way that the people who wanted it, uh, who are purists and um, obsessed pointlessly with these franchises in a way that is like harmful. Like, I don't think they do enough to sub- like get away from that. And on this viewing in particular, I just, I don't know. I don't think it's bad that they're hanging their hat on the, the last Jedi's example necessarily, but I think you're maybe casting too narrow a net and therefore limiting the kind of things you can say about why toxic fandom is bad um because that's one example uh and those examples are repeated i'm not trying to say that that doesn't happen to other things obviously it does or else you wouldn't be making a movie about it but i just noticed that more this time and i thought it was kind of odd um but like yeah anyway yeah so is this movie um in the way that it approaches the scream franchise is it analogous to what last jedi did or is it analogous to like the force awakens um force awakens i think because having not seen any of those movies and uh, just remembering movies I haven't seen in a long time. And well, just remembering the, the what I saw online, I haven't seen The Force Awakens, but th- 
Scream 5 to me kind of felt like what I heard The Force Awakens was. Yeah. Well, The Force Awakens was criticized, I think, uh, largely for like treading water and being a a setup movie, but also for other reasons, too. But um, but I think the Force Awakens biggest problem is like it's it's like oh all of these people are either related to old characters or literally old Han Solo was here. I'm gonna clap at the screen. Yeah, um, yeah, and th- that's part of any legacy sequel is gonna have that problem because you're just like you're hinging on the audience reacting really positively. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I've just finally had a clarifying thought on why people were so mad about the Last Jedi. Part of it was the handling of Luke Skywalker's character. I'm remembering this now. Yeah, and that they thought that like a bunch of like macho fanboy freak weirdos basically thought that Ryan Johnson made him a big pussy. Well, Mark Hamill even was kind of <laughs> dissented from that movie. So he w- sort of washed his hands of it. Um, I mean, I don't think that's true. He, d- he definitely like made some like remarks in the press, maybe at the time, but not anymore. <laughs> I'm not sure if he's, if he circled back, but he definitely kind of, I think the problem is we're, we're talking it. on vague memories of something that we're not invested in. Like the people who are mad are, for sure. So take what we're saying with the largest grain of salt you can find. Um, but it's this thing where, you know, like the movie did fine with audiences. Uh, but there is a pretty significant group of people who are essentially just arguing like there is a way that you have to approach the franchise with a certain level of reverence for its characters and how it came before specifically how we think about it and um you didn't do that so we're mad and i just i i just find it interesting that i didn't notice the first time i watched it how specifically they're drawing on that example but in every like rant that Richie has and you know the specific Ryan Johnson call it's like they're really precisely pointing to that mm. example and i just wonder if that hamstrings them in a little bit because you know like every legacy sequel doesn't do precisely what the transition to the force awakens to the last jedi was like whereas you know i think th- the reason scream works and now I'm sort of making the argument that they're saying do not make this is where it gets con- the meta-ness gets convoluted because like um but you know it's this thing where those movies work because they're working on conventions that were established over a long period of time and the legacy sequels of relatively new phenomenon in how frequent it appears in pop culture and is such a dominant thing like with your fucking 800 Jurassic World movies that are all basically just like, look, we brought back, we we dug Jeff Goldblum out of his like tomb. Everybody clap for Jeff Goldblum. Like, I I think they're they they end up just doing that in this movie because they are making a specific critique against a the reaction that the Last Jedi got, which is not as widespread a reaction as it could be whereas in Mm. the other scream movies it's like you're dealing with tropes not like human behavior (laughs) that got very convoluted but that's just part of what i noticed i i think you're you're completely right in that take i think the whole idea of like 
don't fuck with the daughter of a serial killer is kind of like a weak thing to hang an the, entire movie on. Well, I think the problem that I have with their execution of it is they're like toxic fandom, which we are saying reacts positively to doing something like it's also weird because like in the Star Wars parallel of Rey as a Skywalker, the comparison that you're making is that this person's related to a serial killer. Um, like the parallel isn't super there, but beyond that, um, I just don't think there's enough in Scream to hang that kind of argument on. It can work on tropes, but mm-hmm. the way that they approach it here. Um, it takes the wind out of its own argument and the Scream movies hinge their interesting meta layer on the fact that they're making some kind of argument about how these movies work. Um, And I think this would maybe have been better served by either saying we're going to talk about toxic fandom in this one and it's not specifically going to be about genre convention or we're doing our legacy sequel one because I think what you get in the end is a very surface level feeling critique of why toxic fandom is bad, which is to say that being psychotic and uh, hateful and violent towards people is bad, which is not an argument that somebody is going to put back against you on. Um, but in committing to that so hard, it doesn't have anything interesting to do with the fact that they've brought these characters back for a legacy sequel that they're also doing which makes it feel kind of weak on that side of things nice those are great thoughts uh but i like i think the cast is great uh, how about you <laughs> casting are... director casting director went off <laughs> where do you goes crazy where do you arrive with this movie liam what are you uh what are you thinking i'd love to hear you uh pick this one yeah so i <sighs> It's kind of a three-peat, guys. I also arrive at thinking this movie is uh, pretty good. Pretty good. Okay to pretty good. Um, Which is a big disappointment for me. Because when I watched this in the theater the first time, I I thought it was a 10 out of 10. I was so excited. Um, I I was just... That's it. I was so excited. I was... This was the most excited I'd ever been for a movie in my life. Um, And... I I love the format of the Scream movies because I love that the killer changes every time and it's a whodunit and we get uh, connected to uh, our main group of characters and we also meet some new characters and um, they find some new kind of movie crevice to dig into and talk about. You know, we got uh, just the concept of, of slashers and horror movies in the first one. Then we get sequels and then we get trilogies in the third one. The fourth one, we get reboots. And then in this fifth one, we get uh, requels or, or legacy sequels. Um, and so I just, I love that format and I was just so excited to learn who the killer was. I was, when the opening scene happened, uh, we get Tara and she's texting her friend Amber and Amber is asking if, if it's Wes who's calling her. And I'm just like, oh, who is Wes and who is Amber and why is why is Tara home alone? And I was just so excited at the thought of having this movie unravel in front of me. And um, as it unraveled, I was I was very satisfied. I, I was surprised by the reveals. I liked that um, the killers um, 
most of all, I liked their performances. I, I thought that the payoff in my mind made a lot of sense. I was thinking back to how the characters were acting prior and then how they were acting once the reveal happened. And I thought it checked out. And I think that still really does hold up upon rewatches. And I think that's uh, the most fun thing about watching rewatching the screen movies is watching the killer characters before the reveal happens and, and seeing how they behave. And I think this movie does great at that. Um, I thought the, um, toxic fandom critiques and this idea of like being radicalized by message boards and being so obsessed with something that um you forget that there are humans behind it you lose your own humanity and you're willing to just to kill for something greater just to uh have a piece of media continue the way you want it to because um in this movie, Richie and Amber, their their main goal is to uh, kill people who are related to these stab movies and and further who who uh, were the basis of these stab movies. They want to have some killings happen so that another stab movie is made based on true events, like the first couple stab movies were in this universe, and they want the movie to movies to be good again. And I thought that that was uh, clever. It reflected a lot of the stuff I was I had been seeing online in the last few years. Um, you know, in in the f- couple years before Scream twenty twenty two came out, that's when I started going on Twitter and stuff, um, and um, seeing seeing a lot of. Uh, people just get really mad about movies whenever they came out come out and become really territorial about them you know and just like uh being so offended when someone thinks a different way and uh saying that there's you know right ways to do movies and wrong ways to do movies and everyone thinks that their opinion is the right opinion if um if they've thought it through enough they'll it's like they they forget that it's an opinion and they're just really set on it and so i liked this um satirical over the top approach to that and uh i just had so so much fun with the movie i was just so stoked it it felt like i had seen scream one in theaters for the first time like it it felt like i uh i was along for the ride and i sort of got my mind blown um and i was very excited to see it again and so i went to go see it again with Corey. and after we watched it um i i was a bit more disappointed i remember now that i knew how the movie was going to unfold i knew who the killers were i knew how the legacy characters were going to be treated um i was paying more attention to the way that the movie got there instead of just being wrapped up in uh just you know letting it all unfold in front of me and not really having a bit of time to think um i was thinking more and there were just like a lot of uh expository lines about requels and there were even uh like little throwaway lines that are self-referential um that were cool to hear the first time but now hearing them again they felt a lot cornier and they didn't like Mm. make as much sense they felt very written to me um and that sort of that sort of bummed me out I, I, and, um, so I came out of the movie with Corey and Corey was probably higher on it that first time than I was 
at that moment the second time and and that's probably because it was his yeah. first watch and right? i was pretty stoked on it yeah you were you were um and i even told you i said well the first time i saw it i thought it was like a 10 out of 10 and you were like oh man i'm not far off but i said this time there's kind of some of this stuff has given me pause um and even things that i wasn't really certain about the first time um now i had they had crystallized where I, I could face that I didn't really like them, even though the first time I was kind of either rationalizing it in my head or I was uh, just not thinking about it much at all. Like the whole Billy Loomis ghost kind of thing where we get his uh, Skeet Ulrich comes back. Um, we can talk more about that. But I, I would I, like to, yeah. Yeah, I thought... I, I, I didn't think... I, I, I do... I'm okay with the concept. I think it's... Uh, it it's definitely born of like two um it has two purposes one i think is to just bring skeet Ulrich back and sort of play into that oh look it's the guy again and he's wearing the clothes that he was in the first movie um we got him to say more lines it's and so, so much the guy again that we made him with a computer <laughs> Yes, yeah. So I, th I think it's that, but I also think it it really is working to serve these new characters. Uh, well, this new character Sam, making um, her his daughter and dealing with this this trauma both genetically and you know she she takes uh, medication um, for stuff that that I'm sure was passed on to her from Billy Loomis, and then she also has this trauma from her. Um, her learning that the the man who raised her was not her real dad because of course Billy died uh, before she was born, um, and I, I thought that that made sense. This this idea that your your past is haunting you, particularly your familial past, that's something that is true for for so many people. Um, and I thought that I I could I liked that the audience was seeing the ghost of Billy Loomis. It's not, he's not a ghost, but he's like a, a hallucination. Um, we were seeing that, but, but she was also seeing it and it made sense for her. But I think the movie kind of goes a bit too far with that. Um, having Billy kind of point out with his eyes to this knife that she ends up using to kill uh, Richie. I think that that seems to, go a bit too far into like um mm -hmm. this mystical element and 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 uh sympathizing billy i think it's okay to, to sympathize to make billy a sympathetic character because it's all in her head she didn't actually know this guy you know she might have she might have read what what clothes he was wearing the night it happened and so she 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 sees him in this way but it's not actually him but him pointing out this knife to her that she wouldn't know was there doesn't check out to me now it makes him an actual separate character who's like working from behind the grave to help her and i would have preferred just like a bit more writing there where it we made it clear that like she already knew the knife was there and part of her like subconscious was just reminding her or something um but that's that's just one of those things that that bothered me other things that that irked me um was some stuff mitch was bringing up i think it just becomes really heavy-handed this idea of requelness um and Corey said it too as these characters are all talking about these horror movies particularly mindy i think she's the biggest culprit um 
I just kind of lose that these are actual people. I think in the first movie, Randy uh, loves horror movies. He's, he's but, perfect, yeah. But he he plays it, and it's written in such a way where he, he feels like a guy you know who hangs out at a video store, loves horror movies, but he's also part of this friend group. Um, he, he jokes around with his friends. He kind of has a crush on Sydney. I think that all checks out, whereas this movie, I find it hard to understand why they are hanging out with Mindy. Like, she is so callous to me in this movie um right from the very beginning when we meet her she's saying that you know uh tara might as well be dead um and that even though she didn't die in this attack she's she's probably gonna die and i'm i'm thinking this is your friend what and are you doing and that news footage calms her down of like murder and yeah yeah and then and then she also says like at this party after many people have been killed throughout the town um she's throwing this party and uh she is saying to like live um that you know she's she's probably gonna die when when she goes off and uh that worked for me the first time because I didn't know if she was the killer, but it turns out that she's she's not, and she I guess she's just this movie obsessed person who is just there to be a conduit of um some a bit of like legacy horror movie critiques, and I just don't think it works. I think we've got to be past this Randy character that worked in the first movie, um, and we just gotta we gotta split that that trope up and just give it to a bit of other characters because in the first movie they're all pretty um knowledgeable knowledgeable about horror movies i mean billy and Stu that that was their that was their mo they they well, watched some horror movies took callous, notes right like yeah Stu, when he's talking about it like they're outside at like the f- fountain or whatever and he's just tone deaf right but people are being like, hey, fucking dumbass, shut the fuck up. That's like, right. And he ended up being a fucking and killer. He was the killer. Yeah. And they they feel more authentic too. Like like people you've just she just feels like a bit like reading a Wikipedia page. Like like this this movie, this thing happened. And it sucks because like, yeah. she's really good. Like, I'm not so, uh, I don't know okay. if I agree. I've struck a curve. Yeah, no, I, I'm with Mitch too. I think she she could be good, and I'm very excited for Scream Six. I'm, I'm I like that they did have uh, a lot of these new characters survive. In fact, that was another thing that made me so stoked about Scream Five that excited me in a way that Scream Four didn't when I saw that one in the theater, which I also loved at the time. But I was disappointed by Scream Four then, and uh, I'm less disappointed in now just because we didn't get a Scream Four sequel, but we were supposed to, and so I was confused at the time. We introduced all these new characters characters and then most of them died it's turning out now they might backtrack that it sounds like kirby is going to come back this is a character from scream 4 mitch and also the killer from scream 4 um they did not shoot that person in the head and so people are speculating that that person might come back so they left some seeds okay but but they it seemed like they killed off a lot of people in scream 4 and even if they didn't and those people do come back i feel that in scream 4 they don't quite give enough attention to those new characters in order for me to feel close to them and i talk about that on our scream 4 episode and i think in this movie they did do that i think in the first half we spend a good amount of time with these characters they've got a lot of funny lines um but do we know anything about them 
Well, yeah, it doesn't get deep enough, and that's no. that's what bothers me. And so that's why I say that the uh, the person who plays Mindy, I think she could be good in Scream Six when we get more of her. But I think in this movie, she it, it just it really does feel like she's reading Wikipedia articles, and she's serviceable. I don't think she's bad, but I have trouble even saying that she's particularly good just because i don't think she's actually given all that much i think tara jenna ortega gets to go all the way and really does uh amazing work because she's given a bit more to chew on what do you guys think of the scene where she's on the where she where mindy's on the couch and there it's kind of like mirroring the original movie um i had fun I smiled. Yeah, I smiled. I'm like too. it's fun to have somebody be like, "Turn around," and you're like, "No, you fucking turn around." It's like that's a fun bit. I'll I, give the movie that. I enjoyed that too. I, I, that made me. Uh, that made Randy. me. Randy. Yeah. yeah I, turn I, around. And there are like fun <laughs> referential flourishes in this movie too. I, th- I yeah, think like, this movie's not terrible. It's, like it's I feel just like we bogged make down. Clear. It's yeah. just bogged down with it. It's too much. Um, no. Yeah. I I come away. This movie is still like a seven or an eight to me. But that is also what like. Scream wow. two, Scream two is, which is like a seven like or go, an eight is just okay to you. I did not think you were going to say a seven or an eight either. Yeah, wow. Yeah, no, that's <laughs> it's it's really it's it's uh it's relative to this franchise as a whole. I think because the original Scream is like a twelve out of ten to me, and so right. so this movie um it it has a whole lot I like, but it just it doesn't. I, I really wanted it to hold up the way that Scream does. Um, and these are kind of tough movies to, to make hold up because they really do rely on the fun and the surprise of the first the first watch and, um, and learning and watching along as these characters deconstruct um, the genre. And I think that the first movie is really the only one that... Uh, it all feels perfectly suited for and it all works. Um, I think, mm. th- I think that couch scene is great. I love that. I love that too. I love this idea. Um, that's all throughout the movie that scream by way of the movie stab, which was made based on the events of what happened in scream. I love this idea that that has now become a classic horror movie. It has become people's Halloween, um, mm. which is, which is totally true. Uh, I've seen in the last few years that scream has become huge and it wasn't always like that. Um, yeah. and people, people love that movie. And so I, I really dig having, uh, it put up on that pedestal because I think it's accurate, but I, uh, I think that this movie is really heavy-handed actually in its reverence and respect that it has for the first movie um, it's paradoxical yeah. to the argument it's trying to make it's, and it's, that uh, bums me out you know it's, it's interesting when you're talking about the relationship that like scream like the the events in the movies has in relation to like this fictionalized uh stab franchise because like the scream franchise in itself was actually inspired by a real string of murders that happened in florida in the 1990s some of the most grisly ones i've seen in, in gainesville on a college campus um and then later in 2006 scream would go on to like inspire these two teens to like murder someone as as well so there's like this weird <sighs> Every time I watch Scream and I see that sort of intertextual, I also think of the that there's like art imitating life and then life imitating the art. Like it's 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 weird how there's like cyclical layers of that in reality, but also in the films. 
for sure. And I think yeah. that that's why the first one holds up so well to me is the reveal is so scary. Uh, yeah. This is why I totally resent that the scream is a is a comedy horror or a horror comedy. I think it is just it's just straight up a clever um horror it's just movie. a well-written movie i think i think <laughs> the idea of Stu and billy doing what they did i think that feels so real and scary and i think scream five and most of the other scream movies actually except for uh i think the the reveal in scream four is pretty scary but um other than that, especially Scream 5, I think the reveal wor- works as uh, just, you know, a, f- a fun kind of funhouse reveal for the movie. I think it makes sense. But I think on a grander level, it doesn't uh, have the same real world implications that the first movie has. I think it is more of a like a an allegory or something whereas i think the first one feels like oh no like this is this is not really removed from reality at all right yeah yeah no it's there's another thing that i wanted to talk about like we were talking about about billy loomis and and toxic fandom and and all that and i wanted to to talk more about that but you guys are going off and i I didn't want to interrupt you um but it's i just Honestly, I didn't like like that whole angle or that that whole sort of uh, thing. It's like another level of sort of referential qualities, and I thought that like the like the sort of CG <laughs> Skeet Ulrich or whatever. <laughs> um, I I thought that that was like all really reboot Skeet Ulrich, just insufferable and, and really bad. And I was rolling my eyes, and I wish they hadn't done that. And I I didn't think that the whole like twist like. I am your father thing like uh, it didn't work for me at all and I would have rather that that not be in the movie and they built it around something else but it's difficult when you're making a legacy movie but I just I I really rolled my eyes through all of that yeah this time around um, I don't remember my exact reaction to Billy Loomis round one Uh, Liam might he tends to remember moments of my life better than I do Mm -hmm. but um, (laughs) but uh, extremely aroused Corey was classic um but um no here i think it's just a prime example of the movie falling into the as liam said the reverence trap it's trying to avoid yeah um it doesn't feel and maybe i'm being silly and arguing it this way but it's like it just doesn't feel consistent with like the way the franchise up to this point addresses tropes right Mm mm-hmm like, it doesn't matter it how much you like, cover it in irony. It's not going to work, right? Like, you're like going to fall into the trap. Yeah, if you're just making the mistake, but you're trying to do it in enough layers of irony, you're just making the mistake again. Yeah. Like, and I, I think it takes away from the movie because no matter how much you might also think it's weird for it to be in the movie, it doesn't make it less weird. It just mm. means that you're still doing it. And then uh, I think that combined with the very on the nose discussion, like when Richie's giving his big speech at the end and he's like, they laugh at us and why? Because we love something. And it's like, okay, like I see what you're saying, but it's like you have, you're making scream and you have the reverence for scream on display here. And I mean, obviously the the difference point is like, they're not using it to like harass people on forums or like, you know, threaten people's lives. But like, it just feels 
it feels like some level of the irony is somehow lost on the filmmakers that they're doing a bit of the thing they're saying. Um, and that's sort of frustrating when the high point of the movies up to now is their awareness of how to deal with tropes in a more deft way. Mm-hmm. So it, it it gets kind of frustrating um, to, to see it sort of loop around. I think some aspects of like the, the more we're also excited that these legacy characters are here. I think they work. One thing that I do, I'll say that I like is that, um, you know how you always say when there's been a few different sequels, you're like, when will these characters learn how to finally address being in this situation? You're like, how are we in the same situation again? It's it's that classic boy meets world quote of how can I learn so much every week and still be so stupid? But what's nice is I do actually like that Sydney gets to Stu's house and is like, I'm not opening doors. I'm shooting people on site. I I love that. Like, and you know, like I do like some of what they're doing because I think it's like, yeah, you would learn by now how to approach this situation. So I'm glad to see that. And, um, you know, I, I think the the interplay between some of the legacy characters is good. Like when Gail sees Dewey and is like, you, you fucking texted me. (laughs) It's like, I like them together and I like seeing the characters again together. It's not like there's no level of the legacy aspect that feels like it works. Like just foundationally, those characters are people I like and those actors are people I like and they're doing good stuff here and I'm having a good time, but it's, it's sort of like in attempting to Mm. broaden that into something else. I feel like it, it, as I said, like buckles under the weight of like both trying to do something and trying to say something about doing that simultaneously. Um, cause that's a really tall order. Um, and then I don't think that it manages to compensate for that shortcoming in any meaningful, like stylistic or narrative way. So it ends up just sort of being a little bit moot. Like, I think the movie looks really bland and I think some of the kills are kind of bland too. Um, oh, some of them are good. Though. Some of them are really fucking good. Okay. Wait, I have an idea. Okay. Uh, I'm going to count down from three and we're all just going to say the name. Like, we're going to say what our best kill is by just saying the name of the person who died. Are we all on the same page? Okay, just a sec. I, I'm not sure if I, I need to... Um, like, like if your answer in a hypothetical scenario was Billy Loomis, when I say 3-2-1 name, you would say Billy Loomis. Obviously, he doesn't die in this movie, but you get what I mean. Mm-hmm. Okay. Everybody good? Uh, okay, uh, yeah. You good, Liam? You don't sound 100%. Yeah, well, I just I don't I don't want to cheat the system, but I have an answer that might be a cheat. That's so, fine. We'll see. Okay. All right. We'll talk about it. Okay. And I'm gonna. It's gonna be like three, two, one. Name. Three, two, one. West. Tara. God. Interesting. Okay, Mitch and I both <laughs> cheated, so I'm glad because that was my other cheat as well. Oh, that they okay. didn't die? No, it's yeah. fine. They're, yeah. they're, they're death scenes. It's fine. I mean, like, Jasmine, like, or, like, Mindy, Jasmine. Mindy is pretty much, like, it feels like she dies because it cuts away, right? Um, yeah, but that, but we see her getting into we, the you ambulance. You see her getting into yeah. the ambulance, right? I mean, 
Yeah. Shout out to my man Chad. He was never going to die. Yeah. So this is let's let's all talk about um, each of the ones we picked. But I'll just say that this is part of where my my seven or an eight comes from. I mean, I'm really harping on the things I didn't like just because I I want to get those critiques out because I love the franchise so much and um, those are the things I'm really interested in dissecting. But there are a lot of things so far that I haven't said that I totally love, and a lot of the kills are are those things. Things. So uh, yeah. let's let's do it, uh, Corey. You talk about uh, West quick, and I'll we, we can chime in on West, and then we'll we'll go to the yeah, next one. Yeah, mine's easy. Mine's easy because like it's it's kind of corny, but I like it. It's finally a movie that will just give it to me straight and make it clear that they're gonna keep closing doors and no one will be there. Um, like I like that. You know, you we've established that he's by himself. We've established that he doesn't have his 16 tasers on him. And he's just being a good son, you know? They do do the Hitchcock thing, how he's kind of setting up and, you know, yeah, the, the bombs just, under the table, right? Yeah, oh. casual, doing, like, mundane, busy work, getting plates for mom, looking for where the good condiments are. It, it made me cry the first time in the theater. It really, it's, it's tough because it's just like... You know his mom loves him a lot, and he's just setting up everything, being real nice, and they're so well prepared. And by that point, you know that his mom is dead on the front walkway, yeah. which is and what really got me. I was I was tearing up because he's he's setting up these plates. We know his mom has gone to get him sushi, and he's he's taken such care, and he has no idea that his mom is either dying or dead right outside. Yeah. And it just really it really affected me. I think that that long scene really worked there. Well, and he's just like poking through the cabinets and like getting everything out. But then by the time he realizes something up is with the door and locks it and then Ghostface is there, there's two more elements to it that really sell it. First of all, um, the desperation in his voice when he yells, fuck you, does not sound like a guy who's confident he's about to win. Mm-hmm. It's it's very much like a oh god like I'm going to die. <laughs> yeah, there's some like, good fuck yous in this movie too. They and, say fuck a lot. Yeah, I think they also, say it too much. <laughs> no, no such thing. I th- I thought that after the second time it too. It feels rote. Yeah, it um, does. I don't yeah. know. As a guy who says fuck a lot and is roughly <laughs> these people's age, it spoke to me. Um, but uh, then the way the knife goes into him on the side of the neck and oh, like in the through side, it yeah. is so gnarly. <laughs> Yeah, what a practical right. effect. Poor boy didn't deserve that. And and great performance. The the, the life yeah. is leaving his eyes. I'm not I'm not uh, even sure they didn't kill Dylan Minnette in that scene. <laughs> you didn't see him at the concert, Corey. You didn't make it. No, Maybe he wasn't there. Maybe he wasn't there. Uh but no, I think he's um great in that scene, and I think that scene's really well executed. And it's also not too in your face. Like it's even little music swells when they close like the fridge and everything, but not mm. too big and just like just very, very even, very like good dramatic irony as liam said like we know that this situation is much more dire than he does um and also just knowing that like all of the protective equipment was like right next to him at any given time and he just didn't have it <laughs> like yeah mm. yeah and and i've just i've got to say now that i've seen this for the third time that scene has has worn off on me which is sort of a bummer um it's it's a long scene and i think this movie really was constructed knowing that people were going to be so excited seeing this movie in the theater i think it's a it's a theater movie and um yeah it's it's these doors opening and closing you don't know where ghostface is going to come from very tense and so now i i respect the scene but it doesn't it hasn't got me as 
emotionally yeah. invested, which I think some other more exciting scenes in, in past screen movies have done, whereas this is much more patient. And so I think it is a great, great payoff and very affecting, but it just doesn't hit as hard now, whereas Tara and Chad, um, who me and me, me and Mitch picked, those still work for me because they're so visceral even though i know what's gonna happen yeah. also my last thing uh for some reason wes's starts with like a psycho send-up where he gets a shower scene yeah that's what i mean when i say the whole hitchcock thing because also like it, there's yeah. the element of like his, princi- his really principle of, of suspense where you you know something that they don't know and, um, look as i told Liam the the day we saw the movie i was just grateful for the showers <laughs> And I think um, the <laughs> casting of Dylan Minnette is is quite clever, too, because to me, he was the most significant actor of the new cast. And so I... He's the one I had heard of. I thought that he was going to either be the killer or, you know, be be uh, the, the, the good boyfriend the character, end. Scream 2 style. Yeah, who makes it either to the end or close to the end. And so I was surprised that he got off as early as he did. And it still kind of bums me out because I think that um, he is at one of the characters who actually has the most personality shine yes. through while Mindy is going on about this stuff, uh, the, the movie stuff and how her friends are gonna die and she doesn't give a fuck he you can tell he cares for tara he um uh cares for sam he cares for his mom he's taking the thing seriously and so i think he um it it actually kind of bums me out that that he died as i want more as he did yeah 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 you know, I, I said that my favorite kill is Chad, but I, honestly, now that I think about it, I don't think I really like that kill that much. I don't think that there's well, a lot of a lot of kills that I I do um, like. I have problems with a lot of them. Um, well, what what were you going to say about Chad? Yeah, what the hell um, happened? How have you done such a quick about face? Well, I think like the whole setup with like the phone and everything is like not really that suspenseful. I feel like it it feels like. I don't know if you've ever watched like any of those like shitty submarine science submarine movies or science fiction movies from like the fifties where it's like the blip is getting closer on the machine and it's like oh no <laughs> and then you have like the whole set kind of shake. Um, it, it feels a bit like that where it's just you see like a dot moving and to me that's not. I don't think that it. It's it's telegraphed. It's stupid. He won't go upstairs with the girl because he's not sure if he, she's the killer. But he'll absolutely go and meet her in the woods. I mean, like it logically, it's stupid. I think. I also think that like. But he's Chad. Yeah, he is Chad. He it he, is he, re, he, re, he yeah. It he, is something stu- Chad might do. He stood um, strong at first, but then he felt bad that she stormed off. And he, I guess I could kind of buy that he was like, "All right, I mean, maybe I was being a bit too overcautious." I don't do this, Chad, but this I know has, that a lot of people have tracking on their phone just turned on so people can see what they're doing. I would so never I, do that, but I know some people, people just do, do that. I, some people live their life knows. that way all the yeah, time. Fuck like, like on Snapchat all the time. Yeah, yeah. dude, really yeah. quick. When I learned that that was a thing, because I didn't have Snapchat, but when people were like, yeah, people just can know where I am all the time. Anybody. I was like, what are you doing? Like, are you fucking insane? Are you stupid? Yeah, and no. I think. Do I you want to get chatted? <laughs> I think it's a cute payoff too, because when we first meet the characters, we learn that Chad wants Liv to get it on her phone, um, yeah. and she doesn't want to do it. Though I don't understand 
where her phone was and how uh, Ghostface, it would have been Amber at the time, got a hold of it because we mm. learned that Liv is not the killer and we learned that her Uber canceled on her. So wouldn't she have had her phone? And so... Mm. There's unless, a few things that feel like logical holes here. Like in a lot Unless of, maybe Amber canceled the uber because she had the phone maybe she's got an apple watch yeah the movie is so <laughs> dedicated i think to like whipping up a meringue of of like suspicion that like a lot of like the suspicions and where they come from and like logically don't make sense because pe- some of the characters are like together earlier when like there's one killer and not i mean i know that there's like two killers but like I don't yeah. know. There's I don't actually know. one moment around this just really quick where they do one thing where it's like finally we're acknowledging like there's not that many moments I feel like where you clue in that there's two killers mm. throughout the movie. The hospital. You, once you're aware, like on second watch, there's not that many. But one thing that I liked is when uh, Amber goes down to get a beer, and Mindy's like, "You, you dumb piece of shit! How could you possibly go down here by yourself? Um, this is how could you? This is so dangerous. Don't do it again. Thank you for the beer." But then when Mindy's on the couch watching the movie and Richie comes back over he goes hey i'm gonna go downstairs do you want to come and she goes absolutely not and i was like did he only think to ask that because amber mentioned that it came up and they were like planning shit like they went and chatted quickly and he's like okay i'll ask this time see what she does like oh yeah that's funny i uh I, and I gotta say, I, I really like the tension of that Amber Mindy scene in the basement, and especially on rewatch, because now I know Amber's the killer. I know that Mindy is not the killer. So Mindy's power that she had, uh, being the horror movie expert, is actually thrown off. And so, so um, when she she's goes, really playing with fire, yeah. she goes, yeah, she goes down to follow Amber to say, oh, you're so dumb. Uh, you should have asked me to go with you. Um, so and so she is actually trusting Amber in as she's trying to be the horror expert, which is sort of why I'm bummed that uh, Mindy lived after everything. I'm curious to see where it goes, mm-hmm. but I think it would have been kind of cool for Mindy to be set as the example of watching these movies and obsessing over these movies and sort of being desensitized to violence and death and the fact that your friends are actually in trouble and thinking you know everything and being arrogant. I would have loved for some punishment to be dished out to her. Um, <laughs> I, I, I really would. And I think they yeah. should have, I think I would have liked if that paid off a bit. Cause in rewatching it, I was like, Oh man, Mindy is actually not as smart as she thinks she is. Um, and they're I get do scream takes Manhattan and they're going to put like Mindy in a dumpster or something. Oh gosh. I, I think, hope so. I think Amber's death is kind of stupid. It's, it's like, it's awesome. It's, it's like, so convoluted. It's so, it's convoluted. so many steps. It's so like many different also, hand sanitizer to the face. And then she yeah. has to get pushed to stumble backwards to accidentally turn the oven on herself. Time to enter act three. And then bang, bang, bang. Like that, that made to me then roll catch my fire, And then catches then, fire and then comes back like Harvey dent no, like, the comeback is awesome i, I gotta i didn't like i didn't that, like that the shit's comeback. fucking hilarious okay. well, <laughs> agree to disagree and then all of a sudden richie forgets that he got kneecapped like yeah know. but like in the first movie it's the same thing it's the same thing and the at the end of like the first movie pretty much everyone has been stabbed at least like six times and they're all going like i'm not feeling <laughs> so good <laughs> yeah it's funnier because they're, they're referential in that one too they're like oh fuck 
I, I love when Wes says to Dewey early on, and I love that. I love a lot of the Dewey stuff uh, we get. Hurts. I love when Wes Wes says to Dewey, "You got stabbed like a billion times." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, like that's genuinely like, like hilarious. It's like, pretty close, and, yeah. and yeah, and that's like that's the sort of self-referential stuff that that feels much more real to me. Um, and I, I I I like that. I think that's a bit more subtle. I know the screen movies often aren't subtle, but Mitch, mm. are there any deaths then that now you could you've thought back and you do like or um, moments of violence it doesn't have to be a death there are instances of violence that i think are particularly well done i think the first set piece is really really well done um the opening with tara yeah yeah i think that that's great uh, but there's a lot of it that's really really stupid to me like i think like the first hospital ambush is in the waiting room is beyond stupid evil dies tonight yes yeah. i've I'm um, totally with you. That I, that bothers me. I think it's yeah. I think it's just dumb. I think I don't like how they kill and Randy Arquette, but I do like the flourish that it's done with. I think it's kind of ridiculous. Huh? Who? Whomst? Who? Who did I say? David. You just Arquette. said Randy Arquette. Sorry, man. I'm. I'm. I'm <laughs> That's disrespectful. It's just sorry. I know you own the shirt. Um. Yeah. Honestly, I said I liked the kills and I liked the like the technical effects of the kills. But I, uh, most of the set pieces don't work for me. Um, okay. Yeah, I think <laughs> it's, it's hilarious that one guy with the switchblade at the bar, too. Like, that's a throwaway kill. That, oh. Like, that, cut that character out completely. That's just, well, that's just like adding another six minutes to this movie. And it's, I think, and what is already a too long movie. Yeah, that's that's a big disappointment for me too. I I love that actor. I was really excited hearing that he was in the movie, and I like his presence in the what two yeah, scenes he gets and one scene of dialogue. Um, and when it turns out that he is Stu's nephew, I really thought it was going to add up to more. Um, and ha- now yeah. <laughs> I still don't really understand why he was killed because it seems like his. At first, they had this idea of everyone who's related to the killers is is gonna die, but then it ended up seeming like they're just they're killing anyone while they're on the way to killing um, Sam and yeah. Tara, who really matter. And so, I I really don't get it. I um and I don't understand why Liv was the one who was dating him i think that is just a red herring for the sake of it yeah. it would have made a lot more sense if amber were the one dating him because Assume... that no go ahead sorry but if, if if it was amber um that would have made sense that she moved into Stu's house she gets obsessed with him which i actually i love that idea um i think that's really cool she gets obsessed with Stu. she finds Stu's nephew this older creepy guy dates him anyway and um and then oh. ends up killing him i think that makes a whole lot more sense i don't understand why as, they gave that to live as soon as they introduce the red herring they just get rid of it it's just like you immediately kill your darling and it's like why would you do that why what function does this possibly serve why is this here it feels like it's a leftover from an early script and you just need to kill someone earlier on in the film it's like firing syn- chekhov's gun in act one yeah and synchronize it yeah, it's pointless. And to synchronize it to, you know, the the bell toll from, of, you know, that Nick Cave song, I mean, and to stab it, it, that particular kill and the way that it's choreographed doesn't really feel like Scream to me. Um, and I've only seen one. So, you know, bear that in mind. I will say uh, one thing that I do like that I've just sort of thought of is that Amber, um, if it had been that thing where it's like, 
you know, you move into Stu's old house and you just are like obsessed with it. And then that just like takes a turn. I f- somebody help me out here. Who's the serial killer that Zac Efron played in that movie? Bundy. Yeah. It feels very much like somebody, like some teen somewhere making like Ted Bundy themed Tumblr posts. Yeah. Because and, they heard about him and think he's actually just like a misunderstood and guy. I think he's handsome and articulate in court. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> sure, and uh, yeah, and I think and that's that really cool. True to life. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, that, that's what <laughs> people who actually did murders and like were inspired by Scream probably thought. For sure, I think Amber is the much more effective, uh, creepy killer, especially when she's like begging for her life. But then it turns out yep. she's like when she says, "Please, I was radicalized by the internet. I just wanted to be Richie part of made something. me. I'm, Richie made me do it. I just wanted to be part of something." And then Gail says, uh, "You you killed my best friend," and she says, "Yeah," and he died like a pussy. That's I think that's incredible. I think it's scary. I um, love that, but uh, and I think I think it's reason. I think I think it's I do think it's funny you think it's dumb just entirely mitch i uh, know i just thought it's like genuinely just like a, it's like a callous it's like a really callous thing to say but also, yeah also it's just kind of like in a it's it also feels kind of juvenile like it feels like grade seven eight sure uh, yeah it feels yeah. like xbox live <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, and R- richie is just a dude who spends too much time like i don't know on like 4chan and forums like, yeah, that's his whole vibe is just the guy who's on the internet too much. I think I ju- I would have liked for them to be a bit more different because uh, I think they both sort of feel that way. And I uh, Amber's is just a more compelling iteration of that. C- more compelling. I think it's more believable. I think Richie gets the the harder lines about toxic fandom and stuff, where it feels more like this is the point the writers are trying to make. Whereas I think Amber makes that point. Um, more believably um and and i i I buy her overacting more as well it feels like they're both going for the stew thing um and i think that that she does it better and i think even though i i I love the stew thing um like i think mickey overdoes it in in the second movie and i think richie falls more in line with that even though i i do like the actor overall i think uh it just it's a bit grating when they're both up to 11 i think one of them should have been more uh more subdued more of the more of the mastermind and it is uh i also don't think that they have the same sort of uh like comic foil or comic charisma or like um like chemistry that 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 the two killers do in in the first movie right like they're kind of uh they they don't seem like a good pairing i i i don't believe that these two people would go off and do this for the sake of like making the perfect movie and they certainly belabor that point in the last podcaster scene. boyfriend e-girl girl yeah there's there's so <laughs> much here to create murders yeah there's just like so much like exposition there and like we did it for this reason and da 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 and i don't buy any of it um so that that all just kind of womps for me I, I i don't think that the the two original killers are a like convincing, believable, uh, and certainly not really that charismatic. It's so, just dawned on me that the hand sanitizer was probably just a COVID joke, wasn't it? Yeah, um, <laughs> they had to uh, shoot it during COVID. Yeah, and I think the when she says hand sanitizer, you know, I'm pretty sure it's ADR. Her face is kind of turned, but I actually think the delivery is way better than uh, really than it probably good. should have been. I I, so I really funny. like it, and I think it. Yeah, I think it speaks to hand uh, sanitizer. 
yeah i think it speaks to that actress and i think it is just uh mitch is right that her death is sort of a like a, a rube goldberg machine but <laughs> but it but it, it was like just a a, a funny coincidental happenstance like she got she got shot by gail so it's not like they had set this up in order to set her on fire it's just it was just a confluence of events and it's it's a 357 that she catches in the chest like you would you're not getting (laughs) up from that we're talking about political commentary is is david arquette firing a 357 in a hospital also no i don't think so but it is is very reckless is this a commentary about gun culture in america it is very reckless to fire or something like that in the hospital it's gonna pass through and nail somebody in the oh it was a private floor there was no one else up there mitch don't worry there's something i love about when we first get to dewey um and he's like fine but hurry up because my show a show that i like is on and that's how he's talking about the morning show that gail does it's a show that he like he's talking about like it's a fucking soap opera and he's 85 years old yeah he's like my programs are on what do you need to talk about where's the tv guide He's basically talking like he's Joe Biden. (laughs) 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 Wow. Um, Okay, so I think uh, I'd like to reveal my favorite joke in the movie. Okay. Uh, I would love to hear it. Uh, It's when they have that YouTube video of two people complaining about how bad Stab 8 is. And they reveal that that the... that he's using... He's like a ripped sleeveless shirt, bro, using a flamethrower. (laughs) Yes. And it's like, that nah, man, a flamethrower is fucking awesome. <laughs> I think it would be very funny if they gave Michael Myers a flamethrower, for example. Yeah, you know, it, it, it's true. I mean, there's two different types of fans out there. People love Jason X and some people don't. Is it, do, do, I think they, they kind of do like a flamethrower killing either one of the Friday the 13th or late Halloweens. I don't know if I'm imagining that. I feel like I've seen, not like not like a proper like fucking like thing with like a, a backstrap like once upon a time in hollywood but i feel like there's like a like a can of axe or body spray and a lighter there's like something like that i don't know people get set in fire how do we feel about this movie's uh elevated horror bit at the beginning oh i thought that was great yeah yeah i, I like that too i think that's, that's natural the, the sharpest it's the most precise and the yeah, most the ref- commentary like, feels. it feels the most like the kind of um like uh rapport yeah. and exchange that you find in the first movie right that that's like really yeah. kind of witty and clever and it knows what it is um yeah like tara carpenter is somebody who just tweets a lot and uses letterboxd yeah like, that's just top four yeah. the witch hereditary <laughs> fun that they, name, fun that they yeah. name hereditary because this movie in a lot of ways has like a sort of a an i a similar idea to hereditary with there being kind of like a hereditary curse but it is handled much more clumsily and low and sort of lower brow in a way um, the irony yeah um but no, I think the opening's great. Yeah, the opening, it's, I wouldn't change a thing. It's it's wonderful. Well, yeah. and also that like uh that Jaws zoom that they do when she realizes oh, who's yeah, on the, the phone. Uh, it's just like, oh, oh, wow, we're making movies. Like Yeah. Just, yeah. Yeah, I think I think that's great. I love the way that it references the opening of Scream, just like visually and conceptually. Um, but it makes sense for the story. I love the the modern horror commentary. Um I like the I like the automatically locking house. The first time I watched it, I was like, this seems like something that like movie people think 
houses have but they don't actually have and then i house <laughs> then i house sat recently houses for shit, for man. yeah for, for a, a, a very wealthy family and i realized oh this is just uh this is what fancy houses have. Add one of stranger calls. <laughs> yeah. And one of stranger calls. Like rich people have a phone app that controls like what color their lights are, the security system, and like the AC of the house. I mean, yeah. I, so I it's unbelievable. That, I have like the, the, the lights, but that's just because I have those like Phillips bulbs that you buy at Walmart. <laughs> the fancy bulbs. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, hello, I've bought some Phillips fancy bulbs. Hello, um, I paid $50 for this light bulb. <laughs> now my lights are pink and I can live in a gamer room. Yeah. Um, I really like the violence um, and the, the the practical effects of it and also just the, the manner in which it happens. That's why I said this, this was my favorite kill in the movie. Um, though, ironically, she doesn't get killed, which I also think is brilliant. Um, and it is the same thing for the Chad kill that I like. I j- the reason I, I love those two not quite kills is because the acting of uh, Jenna Ortega and Mason Gooding, I think they portray fear and desperation and determination really well in both scenes you can tell that these people are are really trying to live but they're terrified like mason gooding and when he realizes he can't dial 911 because his his fingers are bloody and he can't even turn off the find my phone and so he like you see him psyching himself up to run from this shed that he's hiding behind but he knows he can't run that well and then he kind of like when he notices that Ghostface has popped out and is gaining on him, he makes this sound. And then when he sees the car headlights in the distance of uh, Tara arriving, and, but he knows that he can't do anything, um, I think he plays that so well. And I think Jenna Ortega does the same thing here. She's just such a great actress and her screams and she's so expressive with her eyes. And then I think the the violence in that opening scene does what a scene about half an hour into scream four does. Um, but I like that this does it right in the intro. Whereas it shows you that this movie is, is uh, there are no limits as to like where the violence is going to go when it's going to happen. And there are no limits as to who you think is safe because um, we've never seen someone in the opening of a screen movie get as beat up as she does stabbed right through the hand, her arm gets or her leg gets stomped on and you see it happen. And then she's getting stabbed in the chest and, and then when the twist happens that she's alive, I I love it because it feels realistic that she managed to call the cops. And so the cops were coming as she was getting stabbed. And so um, if she was going to get saved, you know, they were right there to save her. The killer had to flee. And then when she's on the phone, she also says in classic Scream fashion that all these horror movies open with a kill scene. And mm-hmm. of course, she doesn't get killed. And that's the sort of like just small little scream things that I like. It's not yeah. too heavy handed, a it tiny is, little subversion. And I it like It is that. fun too how she's able to pull up and Google and answer one of the questions, like, um, <laughs> yeah. which you yeah. don't get in the first movie, which is, uh, which is just Heather Graham. Yeah, which I really enjoyed. Um, Yes, yeah, I think I think that is that's so cool. I think they did a great job. Um, Why didn't we let Drew Barrymore Google it? That's what I'm wondering. <laughs> and and I like that it also establishes that this is happening in Woodsboro, a place where these kills actually happened, where these uh, high school kids are kind of wrestling with these movies being big 
they're based on events of their hometown. So you'd think they'd take them seriously, but also you're a kid and these movies have been around all your life, um, glamorizing what happened. And so I guess I don't actually blame Mindy all that much no. for, for you're, you're a teenager and it was 25 years ago. <laughs> like... Yeah. And so I like how it, it has, uh, but it still has the legacy hanging over them. Like she ends up being able to figure out Gail Weathers name and she knows Sidney Prescott's name. Um, and so I think that is a really good way to establish the the meeting of these two generations. I will say I I think um once they finally get like Gail and Sydney together, I know it's like maybe ironic to complain about this given that we're also getting on the movie's ass a little bit for like having too much reverence, but I'm like is this all we're going to do with them? <laughs> is this it? Mm-hmm. Like Gail's just sort of here to talk to Dewey for five seconds and then talk to Gail or uh, talk to Sydney for five seconds. And then like Sid gets stuff to do, but like, I, I don't feel like that the stuff in the kitchen is a great like culmination of that. And it's like, if you're going to lean into having the reverence anyway, could we not have done a little bit more? <laughs> I think Sid, it at least feels like she has picked up like lessons over time um, and like grown as a result of it. And is like, here, look, I'm going to show up. I'm not going to deal with your bullshit. I'm like 50 years old. Like, leave me alone. But um, like, I don't know. It felt like Gail was just sort of hanging out. It did. And um, I actually think I would have been more okay with that if she wasn't written the way she was. I, I still felt the reverence coming through in almost every line she said and it every really is a big deal it really irked me yeah like every line is a big deal of her like telling sam that like sydney is the original and um it, you are it, the villain <laughs> and it yeah it just it just really bummed me out it felt like um every well, think, yeah every line she like, said gets to do in scream four right? yeah yeah She's, like, so active in the fucking mix dude and it's yeah. like here she just sort of like rolls in at the end but it's like she's like hiding cameras and like you know fucking people up in that movie like yeah yeah um it is a tough it's a tough rope to walk i'm sure she'll get more in this new one without dewey hogging the spotlight and i think i think sydney has those moments too where it feels a bit too much like it's it's the it's the woman from the original let's give her some big lines but i think her performance um does some good and i think that she she gets a lot to do near the end um i like i i really liked her putting the tracking thing on sam's car and then saying it seems like something gail weathers would do i i think that is like a great uh natural comment on who they yeah, are no, that instead was a fun of, bit, yeah. instead of some of the other stuff they do oh uh, something else that oh such an eye-rolling moment honestly maybe Maybe the most in the oh, movie. Oh, that's a big it's claim. Top what, three. Is what is it? It's it's when Gale arrives after uh, Dewey has been killed, and the yeah. ambulance is taking him out with a body bag, and it's silent with music playing, and we see Sam and Richie holding her back from running up. I to, know. What are you? Don't even know this woman. The audacity. Yeah, and I think I on I think Courtney Cox is is having a hard time selling that emotion, and it just it that feels so cheesy. That to me. was really weird. Yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> I, I, I go ahead, Mitch. No, go ahead, go ahead. 
I, I just think it's it's much actually much more effective the hospital scene afterwards when she's just sitting despondently. She has a bit of a talk with Sam and then Sydney shows up. And I get that you might feel compelled to have a much bigger moment instead of just skipping right to she's already discovered it. But I think the moment of discovery is just really really cliche i mean you can compare that to something like scream 2 where she watches dewey get stabbed on the other side of soundproof glass and oh, that uh, was so good you know it, it just feels like it should have been a bit more creative what are you God, what are you saying mitch I'm saying, that I, seems awesome. I know like that it's it's courtney cox in this movie obviously because i mean legacy character and icon but i i almost didn't recognize her in this movie um i'm not sure why i i, I didn't but i, I like like you didn't notice it was her? I guess I guess not. I feel like she had some work done, so that might be it. But but uh no, like I I, I guess I, I realized it was her, but I, like I, I wasn't like sure, so I had to like Google it to to be sure. But I I I'm not like sold on her performance in this one. I don't think that like I don't think that she's as strong as she is in in, in the other ones necessarily. I think like the spirit of Gail Weathers in the original movie, like she's yeah. I think she's probably my favorite character of and the, she, of the for original. For what it's worth, Mitch, when you go to watch the rest, she keeps it up. Okay, that's like, good. Gail is fucking awesome. Yeah, she's she's great in the original. Like like really good. And in this one, I it just didn't didn't feel it for me. Didn't do it for me, I should say. Yeah, I'm to- I'm totally with you, Mitch. I think yeah. it feels quite stilted. I think uh, she's not given a lot to do, and what she is given to do, yeah. every every single line. Corey said it best. Like it sounds like it should be a big deal. Um, it goes against I, I think- character too. Like she's the journalist looking for the scoop in the in the original one, kind of. And I, I get that like these are her friends and it's a legacy story, so she's not looking for the scoop. But I, that sort of journalistic zeal at the center of the scream movies is another added layer of sort of like cynicism and media commentary that I really enjoyed about the original movie and it's absent here. And I, and I think that it's just another layer of, of levity um, that's, that's kind of missing. Yeah, yeah, and you get that in Scream 4, and here they hint at it because she arrives in Woodsboro and she says that, you know, her her producers obviously wanted her to come cover mm. it. She has her crew, and so I would have liked another scene you of that. You get it in Scream 3 when, yeah. with the talk show mm. at the beginning. Yeah, That's the one time. Cotton. Yeah. Yeah, and so I, I would have liked if this ended with her doing a report it, it mirrors the ending of the first one with a different reporter reporting yeah. on woodsboro yeah, like and i i would have liked it, if it was her do it man like um, <laughs> i think her best scene is is one Corey brought up already actually and it's when she uh, meets dewey again um mm-hmm. and they have a little bit of a catch-up i think i think they the writing has to do a whole lot of fast moving to catch us up on they moved to new york city dewey ran away uh there's a lot of let's, a, let's establish that he's that she doesn't think he's a coward so he can be heroic later but i think the the chemistry between them and i think uh the way she's like kind of slapping him and, and and like Corey said saying you know you you sent me a text i think that feels that feels nice and and those characters you can tell mm. that they have history together even though the writing is a bit tough at times. What I will say is despite the fact that that core group um, the, of like new characters that we have feels a little bit under written, that there is a bit of a novelty to having um, 
a, a popular movie franchise catch up to roughly the point in your life that you're at yeah um if you get what i mean like there's something fun about like seeing a group of people on screen that look more or less like people you know and you're like ah oh, i'm like right in the sweet spot demographic for this shit like oh yeah no i feel i feel really lucky dude i f- the fact that like scream 4 came out right when i started high school and so i felt like i related to those characters even though they were a bit older than me and now it's like happened again because Same dylan manette is like actually like in his mid-20s i'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm stoked it's super cool what do you guys think about um <laughs> i don't know if i should ask this already okay do you guys have any anything else you want to say about about the movie no i, I don't want to rush anyone i'm i'm running close to empty here I, I i don't think there's anything else that i really off the cuff but if you say something i'm dying might, for this question for a memory or yeah yeah well okay so this is a question that a lot of people online have been talking about since before scream 4 mm. even do you guys think that it is likely that Stu from the first movie will come back alive, and do you want him to? Alive? Yes. People think it will happen. And seeds have been planted in the movies. I don't want him to. No. No. No, not at all. I think that would be somehow doubling down, tripling down even, on the thing that they're saying you shouldn't do in this movie. Um, And look, do... <laughs> I guess I should be fair. Would I eat that shit up? The at least the first time I saw the movie when I show up to theaters day mm, one, mm. A- absolutely, I would. Do I think they should do it? No, I don't. No, neither do I. Yeah, I'm 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 in the same boat as you, Corey, which makes me wrestle with it because I kind of feel like gluttonous. Where I'm like, do I want to see Matthew Lillard? big time on screen again and yes. not de-age but just as a dude and get to see him reveal some sort of masterful plot and like it's not like the scream franchise i love it it's not that sacred and it's not free from being ridiculous even the first movie i think that is an imperfect masterpiece i mean that movie has logical inconsistencies as well it has some ghost face attacks where i don't buy that they should have happened it has ghost face lurking in public when i don't think he should be there and it's clearly just a surprise for the audience in order to keep them engaged um so I don't think that it is. It would ruin. Uh, it w- it would be totally unprecedented territory. It would definitely be the biggest step the movie has taken. So, would I be curious to see what they would do with it? Yes, I think it is too. I think it's really, really risky. Um, but the reason people have been hypothesizing about it. A whole lot of reasons, actually. One is that it was Kevin Williamson's original plan when he wrote Scream 3, which ended up being a a bit rewritten because he was focused on Dawson's Creek. Um, But his original plan for Scream 3 was that Stu would have lived from... He got stabbed and he got a TV dropped on his head. Uh, He would have lived from that and he would have been orchestrating everything from jail. getting these ghost face killers to to do stuff for him that was the plan and then columbine happened and they had to do some rewrites and and that went away um and now it has been reignited scream 4 gets away from it entirely i think and now scream 5 has done a few things that have made people suspicious one is that um 
in that YouTube segment where you see the dead meat people talking about stab uh, the reboot um, with the flamethrower. There's a few Easter eggs on the side in the related video section. One says that Kirby from Scream 4 survived. And another one is a video titled something like Stu Mocker, is he really dead? Um, and so that could just be throwing the audience a, a little a little wind. It's hard to say though because they've already said that Hayden Panettiere will be in the next Scream movie. Yeah, but no way would they ever announce Stu. Like it, it would be they would no, keep no, that no. under yeah, wraps. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so it's hard to say. Is that just a wink at the fact that people have been saying now for two decades that Stu could come back? Perhaps. But something else caught my ear um, watching it through this time. Uh, let me see. I'll get a quote for you guys. Dang, I've actually written Stu a lot in my notes. Um, so uh, when Dewey is hanging out with all the kids when he's decided to get involved in the case, um, Amber brings up that Kyle Gallner's character was Stu's nephew. nephew. She, she looks it up and she says, oh, look at this. She, he's related to Stu. And I think someone says, who's Stu? And Dewey says, I haven't heard anyone talk about this. I'm sure they have, but I just caught it myself this time. Dewey says specifically, he's Billy's accomplice, not he was Billy's accomplice. He's Billy's accomplice. Um, so I think it would <laughs> they would have to go through these movies with a fine-toothed comb and figure out where and if they've said that Stu is for sure dead i mean i i think that they've said that Stu has died I, I i find it hard to believe that they've avoided saying it in all the movies um so if they have then they would have to come up with a way where like maybe uh Stu's rich parents found a way to like make people think he was dead or something it would it would be really wacky but i'm i i thought that the Stu conspiracy theory was ridiculous um until I noticed this moment where Dewey says that he's Billy's accomplice and that coupled with the YouTube video saying is Stu Mocker alive um, and knowing that they're going for a trilogy at this point and so they've got to have some sort of plan that they want to do. Um, they have Scream 7 planned out in a way that they said that Nev Campbell um, is supposed to have a big role in Scream 7. Cool, great. Uh, then why did you name, fuck up so bad and make it so she's not name, in Scream 6? Stu Mocker sounds like a World War One German aircraft. I'm, that's all I'm going to say. <laughs> yeah, my favorite F1 driver, <laughs> Michael Stu Mocker. Yeah, so we'll see. We'll, we'll do an episode on Scream 6 and yeah. we'll see what I, happens. I kind of don't want them to, but as I said, I would mark out I'm just gonna be honest. Like I'm an I'm human. I don't have um, any skin in the game, so it doesn't really matter to me. <laughs> they should just make a new Scooby Doo movie. Yeah, bro. Get Matthew they, why why stop there? Why not combine both movies? <laughs> Scooby Doo meets Ghostface. But, yeah, but they all get killed. And then they find out that Shaggy did it. Damn. And like always, there was two killers. The other one was Scooby. Yeah. He uh they denied him Scooby Snacks one too many times. <laughs> What did you guys think of uh, Sam's performance, the actress who plays Sam and her character? Because um, uh, she's like our new Sydney, right? I mean, she's she's going to lead the franchise now. So, 
Oh, kind of, kind of middle of the road. I wasn't. It was fine. I wasn't. It was serviceable. I wasn't really invested in her character whatsoever because I thought that the entire setup of like you, your father, the apple fell too close to the tree. Like I didn't really give a shit about any of that. I didn't really care about the relationship that she had with her sister. So really, I didn't think that the writing did was doing much for her. I thought that she did fine with what she was given, but um, I don't think that it didn't blow me away. It wasn't not, not like a, you know, uh, Nev Campbell. I, I also don't, th- I think the movie's focus is in a couple too many places. They don't really spend. I mean, I know that she's the driving force between like getting to Dewey and everything, but like, I don't think they, I feel like, you know, scream is a movie about Sydney and also the people around her. Whereas this feels like it's about a group of people that she happens to be in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I, I would love to see where she ends up going. I think the actress, who I've seen criticized a whole lot, um, she she does have this sort of atypical way about her, the performance, where she's sort of stilted and uh, yeah. plain-faced a lot of the time and very soft-spoken. It is a very and, plain, a very... I would almost say like she has like quiet facial exp- like features. Like she's not doing a whole lot. It, it is. Uh, yeah, you're right. Keep going. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah. sorry to cut you off. No, 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 totally. And so I wonder, I haven't seen her in other movies, so I'm not sure if this is just how she naturally is, which is kind of cool. I mean, that would mean that this is a reflection of a real person. Or I'm not sure if, if normally she's more lively and this was a direction thing. So I kind of go back and forth of her not feeling like an actual emotive person like when she runs away from getting attacked in the hospital and she says something like to the cop like help he's trying to kill me and it 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 seems a bit too um a bit too red a bit too stable yeah um but then it, it, it keeps going throughout the entire movie, really. And so I'm just wondering, you know, some people might just be like that. I mean, Brianna and I, we watch this, my fiance, we watch this, um, these videos online where you've got to tell if someone is lying. LA and, and yeah. And you a lot of tell if their siblings are dating. Yeah. And a lot of times, press, press square to doubt. a lot of times it seems like you can tell someone's lying. You're like, Oh, no one would ever talk like that. They're, they're saying a weird thing their body language is strange and then it turns out they were telling the truth and it's just like oh i thought i I thought that i've judged a book by its cover but this is just how some people behave so i'm not sure i've i've come down on liking her but i would like to see her um go to some further places in in the other movies and i liked when she stabbed the shit out of richie i like that too i just didn't like i didn't like the line never fuck with the daughter of a serial killer is very rote it's good advice what did you think of uh i i like the idea that she's like now owning her past that she's trying to hide from um it's tough with a lot of these guess that she was trying to hide from because we didn't see any of the hiding yeah on the nose what did you think of richie saying what about my ending and she says here it is and she cuts his throat what do you think of that uh i think again like kind of i thought it was kind of corny uh kind of corny and, and uh i think a, a bit too dedicated to that idea of like that ending you're ruining my you're ruining my ending or like you're the villain like this is my framework this is my thing that i've belabored I mean, in stream one kind of does if that scream one does that but not to this degree um 
and when scream does it i think there's like splashes of levity and those characters are charismatic and they're they're calling each other like the most ridiculous names like uh christ what was it um uh like pussy ass wet rag or like just like <laughs> yeah like, like yeah just like shit like wait, 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 wait. Yeah, pussy shit like ass wet shit like that, that that is like authentic and good and i think in this it's all about like this is my design that i have made with this person who was completely unconvincing who d- definitely would not do it with me and here are our plans and our designs and and we're going to uh, thoroughly explain it to you while we're also giving you the action that's supposed to be the satisfying part of the movie and I find the combination of the two is just not it. <laughs> what are we going to do today, Richie? Same thing we do every day, Amber. Try to take over the world. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Um, Mitch, I'm dying to know, what did you think of the reveal that they were in Stu's house? How did that hit for you? Did was you that recognize a reveal? his house? Uh, yeah. I thought that it looked similar, but I didn't realize that it was like precisely the same house. I'm like, wow, like these these wooden interiors. Look at that staircase. Look at that wood. Like that's got to be like they got to buy that in the 90s. Who can afford a place like that? Um, you know, I was like, it looks a hell of a lot like that house and there's a party in it, but the party is not a convincing Gen Z party. I said that, I said that earlier. Um, no, but, it, that doesn't look like a single party I've ever been it doesn't to. Look like a, yeah, it looks like, yeah, stilted movie party. Um. Yeah, I was like, okay, same house, kind of on those, whatever. Because by by that point, there was so much sort of service done to the original movies and the rest of the franchise that I was kind of numb to it. I was like, oh, we're finishing it off here, and then, you know, sure enough, they do. Welcome to Act Three. Bang, bang, bang. (laughs) Yeah. Um. Yeah. I was that somebody who. Sorry, but somebody who made all this time. Uh, plotting out a movie in real life where they have to murder a bunch of people is the kind of person who would yell welcome to act through like that yeah yeah oh she's been waiting for that moment dude it has been at the top of like a checklist in her phone (laughs) yeah she was like practicing different lines (laughs) probably practicing in the mirror you know yeah there are videos on her phone of testing out wineries that she would then show to Reggie be like is this good like what about this one this one's gonna really scare him okay like what if i do like really from my diaphragm like welcome to act three uh, no? Yeah, yeah. Okay. No, that's stupid. That's stupid. Stupid. That's <laughs> right. Fuck, fuck. We need our ending to be perfect because we are going to make the perfect movie, and then we're going to tell them that it's going to be perfect. But we're going to spend so much time explaining why it's going to be perfect that we're going to fuck up. <laughs> Once you get into Stu Mocker's kitchen, you forget how you've managed the situation up until that point. Yeah, like you can do perfect work up until you enter Stu's kitchen, and then it's game over. <laughs> Yeah, that was your mistake. Yeah, I'm never gonna try and cook a souffle in there because it'll, it'll yeah ruin the rise. <laughs> Everything goes wrong in that place, and a souffle is such a delicate dish. One false move, and it's yeah souffle. I just met her. I don't know. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, I I really like that it ends at Stew House. Stew's house. I think that feels. Um, natural, especially with the reveal that um, Amber moved into the house. Um, I I think it could have again if it tied a bit more into the motive, and they they talked a bit more about that. Um, I think 
I just wish that it wasn't spoiled in the marketing. And so that's why I ask you if you knew that it was Stu's house, because I pretty much knew that they were going to be at Stu's house before I watched the movie. And I and I muted a bunch of Scream stuff online. Um, but they were doing like, like David Arquette was hosting Airbnbs at Stu's house and they were putting out photos saying, you know, like, we're back at where Sydney returns to Stu's house. Stu's house back at the beginning. Wait, you could get Stu's house on Airbnb? Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. Um, I would and, do that. That'd be and a so, crazy pod place to, to oh, record yeah. from. Holy and shit. so when the reveal happened with the pan and and pan out to see the house and Sydney says you're you're in Stu's house, the place where it all went down, I was really confused um, because I thought that we were supposed to know right from the beginning that it was Stu's house. Um, and then I realized, oh, maybe I just thought I knew because of the marketing. And so I wish that that secret had been kept a bit more um, because I, I do think that that's pretty cool. And I do like the idea of shooting the house close up and then and not having it clear what house it is. But then in watching it again and knowing it's Stu's house, I'm I'm seeing these shots of the house and I'm like, yeah, that's obvious that that's Stu's house. But maybe if I if I didn't know that it was Stu's house beforehand, I wouldn't have noticed because I often don't notice stuff like that. So I I just wish I didn't miss out on that i think that's cool yeah i don't have too much more to to add what about you guys um there's there's always things like there's i don't know i think that's enough for today i don't think i've left out anything too glaring holy shit it's ghost face was was a great read by uh that is good jack quaid um (laughs) also just the idea of saying that in real life is very funny like just saying the sentence, "Holy shit, it's Ghostface!" Yeah, there, there are, there are a bunch of little things that I think are really likable in the movie, um, like little lines and stuff like that. It's just a lot of this big stuff, and and some of this little stuff does great on me. Um, but <laughs> I think that th- there's enough here that that I could my opinion could keep swaying either way as the years go on. And there's certainly enough here that I am, I am very excited for scream six. And I would love if they, if they go further and they go darker, you know, if this is the force awakens, uh, from what I've heard, I would love if the next one is the last Jedi, (laughs) it gets like wild. I Um, want to get back into that again. (laughs) Um, I think, I think that's what I want at least maybe not, but, but yeah, I want this now that we're free from being the first screen movie in 10 years and referencing the original and stuff like that. I want this to just be the next one to just be like a killer scary movie um so we'll see i'm very excited uh i will say on the on this on this what sounds like a final note it is funny when sid gets a call from ghostface is like having the phone call with ghostface and is like oh cool jesus christ we're in the same fucking house and ghostface like wants to explain why she's like i'm bored hangs with the phone yes i love that and i love that when she answers the phone four times ghostface goes hello sydney and she goes hello there (laughs) <laughs> yeah like, like a that very is, like that shit is awesome yeah she she does really good in, in that movie despite all of our critiques i think it's pretty good it's okay you know I'd, it's I'd, worth watching i'd probably give it like a six or a 6.5 I don't, i'm not gonna do the numbers thing i'm not good all with right. numbers but um you know if you want to watch it you should totally fair um, so what's interesting about this 
is next week we are keeping with some tradition on the show uh, to talk about a movie that sounds like a sequel but isn't one. Um, we've done this a couple times. You'll remember uh, Buckaroo Banzai and the, the Eighth Dimension. There's some sort. I think it's Adventures, perhaps across the Eighth Dimension. Um, as well as Unmasked Part 25. The original Scream. The yeah. original Scream, really. Um, and this week, uh, we are going to do a movie that, if you cast your mind back two hours, came up earlier. Hmm. Anything ringing any bells, bitch? Oh, Christ. <laughs> There's been we, so played you, we played you, Mitch. We played you. We played you. This is our perfect ending. I told you I'd never heard of this movie before. I knew before, there was two of you. But <laughs> I've actually been on its message boards for years. <laughs> um, so, Mitch, before you got on this call, I'm we were talking a little bit. I'm ready to fucking hurl my chair across the room right now for <laughs> when you ask for my plugs. Before you got on this call, we were talking a little bit. And one oh, of the things that came conspiring up... Conspiring sons of bitches. One of the things that came up was a little film... Starring a little guy named David Arquette. Uh-huh. A little bit about the bard. Maybe we need to oh, continue on of his stories. the bard. To and be so, or not to be. <laughs> we acted like Hamlet 2 with some shit we had never heard of in our lives. Hamlet but alas, 2 is an ambush. You've been ambushed by Hamlet 2. Yes. Well, Liam lied right no to your face. no blood in the mind to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune or to take arms against the we're going to watch Hamlet 2. I don't know what the fuck it is next week. And um, then we'll do our season wrap up stuff. But speaking of wrapping up, Mitch, you, you had some strong words there. Do you have anything you'd like to plug? Ah! Ghost face. <laughs> no, I don't have a favorite scary movie. I said it earlier. Ah! That was a really good one. Yeah, it really, it really did sound like he was getting like dragged away from the microphone. Yeah. What's your favorite scary movie, Liam? Liam, we gotta get out of here. Don't answer that. You, legally, you don't have to answer. That. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have anything you want to put? Mitchell isn't here. Ah, fuck! Quick, hurry! Uh, film writing alter ego is Graham the Haunted Marshmallow. Um, on Twitter and Letterbox, my username is Graham the Mallow. I'm gonna plug my knife into your ribs. Oh, yeah. <laughs> God, I gotta go. Uh, you, uh, Mr. Gory Praise Twitter, MK Podquest, Mortal Kombat Podcast with Neil, Strat Two F One Podcast with Calm. I gotta go way faster than this. All of those are on Twitter. Thank you all once again for listening to this episode of They Made Another One. If I don't say this fast enough, Ghostface will kill me. You can find us all over the internet: Twitter, They Made Another, Letterbox, TMAO. Answer you can find episodes phone. on Anchor, Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Breaker, and everything else. Is They Made Another One? You can reach us via email at tmaopodcast at gmail.com with recommendations for future episodes, question comments, anything really. Just like our boy Shane, who was saying he was looking forward to this, and here you go. Uh, Jade Sketches does all of our art. Her real name is Jade Dickinson. I'm under pressure here. Ghostface is trying to kill me. Instagram at Jade Sketches. And with all that out of the way, we're going to find out what's going on with Hamlet 2 next week and they made another one. Ah! <laughs> that was some auctioneer shit. <laughs>